Welcome back and welcome in. It is season six of the Out of the Box podcast ahead of the 2024 college softball season, the season six premiere. I can't believe it. I'm going to say it again. We've done this for five seasons. Our sixth is beginning right now. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, happy season six to you, sir. Yes, a happy softball to you and uh, very excited for another season of the podcast, another exciting season of college softball. Before we begin, we have 12 pages here. Yes. Of rundown. It's extensive. Buckle up, America. (laughs) Because we're trying to be more concise with our podcast this year. Trying to cut it down. But the premiere is always a wild card. Sure. I want to make sure that we give you, Tom Canterbury, a round of applause for oh. the 10th year. Oh, thank you. Yes. On Alabama Softball Radio. Very excited. Your 10 year chip. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. I've received no presents, but that's okay. <laughs> well, the season starts Thursday. That's true. So that's just true. Wait. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. It's been a, an honor to be a part of the the program for now a, a decade, mm. uh, a small part, but uh, just very grateful. Your children are growing. And, I know. Yes, what a time. Wow. Oh, man. We've got a jam-packed season six premiere. So much to get to. Here is your trip around the bases, and then we'll dive into a few housekeeping items before we officially start the show. We will, of course, begin at the plate. And look at Alabama. Mm -hmm. Yes, lots to discuss. They are going to have a team this year. They will. Yes. Contrary to popular belief, (laughs) the bus keeps on moving. Yes, it does. Yes. So then we will advance to first and look at the SEC, a thorough discussion about the whole league. There are definitely some teams that preseason look like they're going to be able to separate themselves from the rest, but it is as wide open of a league as I've seen maybe in those 10 years I've been here. Yeah, it's, well, we'll get to it, but it's it feels weird, yeah. very mushy in yes, a lot of ways. it does. Uh, you've often referred to the standings as a mushy middle at times. Right. This year, it's like a mushy majority, Yeah, I feel like. Well, there's a lot of teams, and again, as we'll talk about it, but there's a lot of teams that have so many unanswered questions that we're just not going to know the answers to until we actually play some games. Right. Speaking of answers... Will we get an answer to what controversial thing will happen on the premiere this year? Oh, no. In the stealing second portion of the show, when Jen Schroeder, our friend from ESPN, roars in (laughs) to anger Oklahoma fans, (laughs) presumably, we'll see. Sure. My favorite thing is I posted something tongue-in-cheek about that, and Oklahoma fans in the replies literally proving my point. (laughs) It's my favorite. After that. We'll round third with Emily P. Tech Clifford for our annual P. Tech's point of view, including her retirement from the cakewalk. I refuse to accept her, her resignation. Yeah, that has been put in the shredder. <laughs> so sorry. Sorry. We'll allow, we'll allow the one year hiatus because it was quite the cakewalk. Like, I don't know if I've run that fast in the last, <laughs> in these last 10 years trying to protect the big screen i've heard that kayla DeBoer has offered rashinda reed a spot as a linebacker because <laughs> wow she was she was as dominant of a cakewalk player as i've ever seen intense in every way <laughs> then we will head home we've got landmines or gold mines which we're gonna keep doing them okay but historically it's really just been like a nice fun 10 minutes to say sure. things that we know won't happen <laughs> Uh, I liked mine last year. I you, thought I thought I good. was I thought I was going like less out on the limb on some things, and I was apparently way out on the limb. Mm. We'll also do our preseason rankings. Great. Which, 
Those those will work out well. Yes. Speaking of angering fan bases. Oh my gosh. Who knows who will piss off this thing? <laughs> All right. A couple things to discuss. First off, follow us on Twitter at Autobox underscore pod. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review, all the fun stuff. We've also got on the road shows. Not quite sure where we're going to do those this year. We've got some good road trips that we'll cover in a bit. Out of the box going home. I think we're going to do, but now Twitter spaces are, I think, reserved for verified people. And I'm not verified. So really? we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I can't figure out how to do it. Huh. So if you out there know, hit us up. How are we not verified? Uh, out of the box should be verified. Well, I don't want to pay. Well, we don't want that. Yeah. No. Unless someone out there wants to send me $8 a month to verify on Twitter. You, Emily, you can skip the cakewalk if you give us $8 a month. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we will allow that. Yes, indeed. Of course, also out of the box off topic. Uh, I really enjoyed the commentary that we got back about our Nick Saban episode and the Iron Claw episodes. And we'll do more of that this year whenever random things pop into our heads. Yes, because shockingly to i know some we do have interests outside of softball as, yes as the year moves on now once you know, starting next week it's pretty much solid softball right for the next few months but yeah there's some other stuff some things there. pop up sure. i'm sure if we and we might even record one to we might record two today i know you have a lot of thoughts about what you saw at smackdown in birmingham oh my gosh and still on an emotional high yes and, and there's plenty that we can do during Good. the year very exciting. but so much to discuss softball wise as well uh, also if you missed it softball media days covering the entire sec and northwestern state still out there so if you have any questions about what the coaches said if you've heard confusing quotes about stories coming out of the schools hear from the coaches yourself go back and listen they're all there they will be there until the end of time. In a format never before done. I, we are revolutionary. The joke for like three people. But... Uh, somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. <laughs> I feel like so much of our podcast is, well, that's a joke for like seven people. Yeah. Well, but yeah. And yet, and yet we just got picked up by softball. America. And here we are. So clearly it's working. Look at this. Okay. Thought? Let's begin at the plate and talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide. The season preview We've got the whole shebang right here. We're going to discuss it all. As usual, we'll begin with a roster breakdown. The departures, well advertised. Gone portaling, Aubrey Barnhart, Jordan Stevens, and gone via graduation, Montana Fouts. Ooh. Exactly. Yeah. Faith Hensley, Ashley Prangy, Allie Shipman. Uh, obviously, I mean, who is a fun bit? Uh, Montana leaving is, is as impactful as any departure in a very long time. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't overstate, you know, when someone who was that important to your program and your success, her eligibility runs out, mm -hmm. uh, that there is going to be an adjustment and a change there. Uh, but as we've talked about before, it's kind of, you know, it's the nature of college athletics. You know, if, if you could sign Montana Fouts to a 10 year deal, I'd be all for it. But yeah. Currently, that is not how things work. Alas. Alas. College does have <laughs> yes. a finite timetable for mm. the most part. Right. Some of us go for seven years. They're called doctors <laughs> or podcasters. Yes. Also, uh, shout out to Ashley Prangy, who is now an assistant at UAB. Yes. So we will actually be seeing her yes, in a couple we of will. weeks. A couple times. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's who's gone. Here's who's back. A senior days for everyone. Yes. <laughs> McKay Gibley. These are seniors and grads. McKay Gibley, 
Bailey Dowling, Lauren Essman, Emma Broadfoot, Kayla Beaver, Jayla Torrance, KJ Haney, Kat Grill, Jenna Johnson, and Alex Salter is a redshirt junior. So she does technically have another year, but she's kind of in this amalgamation of people. Mm-hmm. This is just a gigantic list of folks who will all make impacts in various ways all year long. As many question marks as there are for this Alabama team, there's actually a lot of experience, a lot of returning players. Uh, some of these players have experience, not necessarily at Alabama, but right. they have a lot of college softball playing experience. It, it's an interesting spot for Alabama to be in because there are question marks. There's a lot of, you know, thing, questions, like I said, that you're not going to really get answers to until games are played. But there are there is a lot of experience and a lot of knowns in mm-hmm. this group. Yeah, these people have seen some things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bailey Dowling has seen it all in her career. Jenna Johnson has experienced every high and every low you can at the collegiate level. And then you bring in somebody like Kayla Beaver, who last year had one of the best seasons of any pitcher in the country, statistically. Yeah, I, I, I th- there is a scenario where we're talking in a few months about Kayla Beaver being the most impact transfer maybe in the nation. We'll see. Potentially. Yeah. Juniors, Callie Hevlin, Kendall Clark. Smaller list. End of list. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Callie, I mean, the glove. The glove is the glove. Like, she is just phenomenal on defense, and the offense looks like it continues to get better and better. We have evidence that the numbers have gotten better each and every year for Callie. Kendall Clark, someone who is great at Des Moines Area Community College, and now it's all about the adjustment to SEC pitching. I will note, though, last few scrimmages – I've seen some of the best work she's done all off season facing sec pitching. Yes. So, yeah. So I think she has maybe one of the bigger upsides of some of these players that we don't have all the answers to as of yet. Right. I'd agree with that. Sophomore class is gigantic. So two years from now, we're going to have a lot of senior days again. Kristen White, Kimley Pate, Abby Dukesher, Larissa Pruitt, Riley Valentine, Kimley Kahalen, Marley Giles, Ailey Johnson. This group feels like the key, like the key to reaching the potential ceiling in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. There there are several players of that list that if they take that next step that we've seen evidence of them having the capability of doing Mm -hmm. uh, that the sky's the limit and that, and they're going to be, you know, you take that huge senior class and that huge sophomore class, like there are so many players from those two classes that are going to be key contributors all year long. And then the freshman, again, short list, Lauren Johnson, Jocelyn Brisky. Brisky, a real surprise. Not that I didn't think she'd be good. I knew she'd be good. The recruiting ranking said she'd be good. Our friend Erica Beach has been talking about her for years. Sure. But I didn't realize she would be this good this fast. Yeah, I, she is going to step in. And I think even more so than what I've seen on the field, what I've seen off the field, her maturity, she seems to be a person that – when if she gets the ball, say we go again, I have no idea what it's going to look like in a month and a half. But say we go to Tallahassee mm. and Patrick Murphy says, "All right, Brisky, you're starting this game against Florida State on a Wednesday night." I don't think the light. I don't think the lights going to be too bright for her. I don't think so. And I also think, to your point, I think right now she would be the choice for that, you're which right. is interesting. That's not what I had on the docket. Sure, even two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could definitely see a scenario where you know. We're going into April and Brisky's starting on Fridays in the SEC. Yeah. Which is crazy to think. But I think there's also a scenario where 
Bieber is your starter. Jalen Torrance starter. There's there's still a lot that we could <laughs> that would that still need to be figured out. But I think it's it's going to be a case where someone is going to step up and take that role. Yeah, it's not going to be just you know by default we got to give it to somebody. Right. And and the other thing that I think the coaching staff is really excited about matchups. You know, we've talked for so many years about when Alabama's had these bigger pitching staffs that they can truly go off matchups. But I think this is probably the best case scenario for that maybe ever. Because not only do you have six different pitchers, and we can go over them real quick before we get into lineups, Lauren Esman, Kayla Beaver, Jayla Torrance, Alex Salter, Ailey Johnson, Jocelyn Brisky. They all do something really well, and they all provide a different look in some way. You know, you've got Jayla and Kayla Beaver who are going to throw gas, Beaver a little bit more up, Jayla a little bit more down. Brisky's kind of a little bit of everything, you know, right. and she can make speeds well. You've got the great change-ups in Salt and Ailey. And then you've got Lauren, who comes from the left side, who I would like to remind everyone, her three best performances last year were against the three best offenses she faced. Right. Tennessee, UCLA, and Indiana. So it, it just it provides so many different options for Lance McMahon and Patrick Murphy. Yeah, you're talking about, say, the, the devastating change-up of somebody like Ailey Johnson, who not many people have seen. Right. Uh, we, we were at the scrimmage last last evening as we as we record and there were a couple times like well that's just not fair (laughs) that we we saw her her throw that change up her teammates who've seen her for weeks yeah were like i don't know what to do with that yes so there's there are so many weapons in this bullpen for patrick murphy and last man to to be able to put out and yeah i I agree i think there's going to be a situation where you're going to be able to do the matchups and uh maybe that Friday night starter in April is different each week, depending on who you're playing. Yeah. And I think it like, if we want to put a stat on it, this might be, I don't have it in front of me. This might be the fewest complete games an Alabama pitching staff has ever had. I don't think that will necessarily say that this is a weaker Alabama staff than ever before. I think that speaks more to the changing landscape of softball and the talents that each of these six provide. I don't, 100% 100% agree with a lot of these analytics that say don't let pitchers face people a third time. If a pitcher's dominating, let them keep dominating. Right. Uh, but there are situations where now, even if someone's doing really well, if you're seeing to that second time to the order, okay, we're getting, they're getting a little bit better contact now. They're still getting outs, but I think this might be on, on the, on the brink that making that change is a little bit easier for Patrick Murphy to do because um, like you said, there's going to be somebody that's going to come in and put a totally different uh, spin on uh, that lineup that third time through. And one other thing, too, you mentioned the freshman real quick before we get to the lineups. Go uh, for it. I don't want to overlook Lauren Johnson because she yes. has been uh, a pretty big surprise to me when I've seen her. I haven't been able to go to all the scrimmages and practice as much as you have, but whenever I've seen Lauren Johnson, she is doing something well. Yeah. Uh, and I think she's going to be another one of those weapons that may not be, you know, the outfield's really crowded, mm-hmm. so and it's it is pretty established. Uh, but you know, in spot starts or pitch hitting or that whatever she gets in, I think Lauren Johnson's going to be able to make make some pretty good impacts. She has been able to execute at a very high level when asked to do things, and I've talked to some people who think she might be the best defensive outfielder on the roster. Kind of saying something. Yeah, that's that's with some some high yeah. level people, including you know yeah. her sister, her sister, right? Yes. <laughs> Who has made a few plays out there in the outfield? Indeedy, in do Tom. Yes. It also includes Kristen White 
who is not a part of the freshman class. She's a part of the sophomore class. However, we have been at these scrimmages. Kristen White has not played in a scrimmage in a month. Maybe, maybe even since they came back. Yeah, I don't Ray. remember. I don't know if she's played any in, in the in the spring. And she was a little hampered in the fall. So what is Kristen White's availability opening weekend and moving forward? Based on the fact that she has not been playing in the scrimmages as soon as yesterday, you know, within a week of opening weekend, I am operating as if we're not going to see Kristen White in Atlanta. I think she'll be back, whatever it is. I, I would be surprised if it's even anything longer than that. Right. But it's opening weekend. No need to take any unnecessary risks. The problem is it completely throws the lineup that I had written down up in the yes. air. Totally changes what, what the lineup's going to be. Yeah. I have Kristen White as the leadoff when she's healthy. So I've got two different lineups here that we can discuss, and you can give me your thoughts as well. One without K-Dub, one with K-Dub for opening weekend. Here's what I've got without Christian White in the lineup. I have Jenna Johnson back in the leadoff spot playing left field. I think that she has really developed the all fields part of her game in a way that makes her dangerous. Larissa Pruitt in the two spot playing center field. Kinley Cahalen in the three spot playing short. Marley Giles, the walk machine. Yes. She's going to be productive, catching and batting fourth. Bailey Dowling, third base. Yes, you heard me. Third base, batting fifth. In the sixth spot, I've got Emma Broadfoot at DP. You could obviously slide some other names in there. I think Riley Valentine has a good shot to, to play a lot this weekend. But right now I've got Emma. I've got Abby Dukeshire at first base in the seven hole. Kendall Clark as the right fielder in while White is out. I've got her in the eighth spot. I think that these last few scrimmages have sold me that she can do enough against high-level pitching to where she can make an impact. And then I've got Callie Hevlin down in the nine spot. Callie, second base, you got to have her in there. But I think that she brings a little bit more versatility with the bat than maybe anybody else does besides Larissa Pruitt, where it makes sense to have her turning things over in the nine spot. Plus, as we saw last year, sneakily a little green light girl, yeah, Callie Hevlin. For sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind that lineup at all. Um, I think you could maybe even see... Because I think Emma Broadfoot plays a good first base. So I, I think so see, too. I could see her getting the first base nod and, and Duke being the DP or Valentine being the DP. I think you could also see Lauren Johnson as the right fielder and Clark being the DP. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's, you know, there's legitimately, you know, in a nine person lineup, there's probably 13 to 14 players that you can rotate in or out of. Uh, but I think in general, I, I like this lineup a lot. Yeah, and don't forget Lauren Esman at first base, too. She's, Esman, yeah. It's kind of been a Duke-Esman competition mm-hmm. over there. Uh, Duke has been swinging a little bit better of late, but you talk to most people who've been around, they would say Lauren has probably had the better collective overall offensive return since we got back from Christmas. So I, I think that you could see, you know, in these first five games, a 3-2 split between those two at first base. Right. And then also a situation, maybe not this weekend, but as we move forward, we just talked about, you know, being able to make pitching matchups, lefty-righty, that type of stuff is going to factor in right. um, when we get into where we know pretty sure who's going to be pitching the next day. Absolutely. With K-Dub, should she play this weekend, which I would love to see her do, uh, I've got her leading off. I think it's time. Let's rock and roll. Kenley yeah. in the two spot, Jenna in the three, Marley batting fourth, Bailey batting fifth, Larissa Pruitt as the quote-unquote Second leadoff in the sixth spot. I think that's a perfect position sure. for her. Yeah. Broadfoot at seven, Duke at eight, Callie at nine. 
I really, really like that lineup. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that one as well. Okay, the 2023 schedule. We begin, Tom, in Atlanta at the Buzz Classic. You excited to see your old pal Buzzette? Who, who is not? <laughs> I am, but not sure. nearly as excited <laughs> as you. Again, joke for seven people. Nate's like, I remember that 2018 reference. It all starts Thursday at 5 o'clock Central Time against Nova. 10 a.m. Central Time, Friday against Longwood. Georgia Tech, Friday at 3. Longwood, Saturday morning-ish, 12.30 in the afternoon Central Time. So it's the afternoon. I don't know why I said morning. Georgia Tech, right after that on Saturday. And then we all come home for the Super Bowl. Yes. This is good scheduling. It really is. Well done, everyone. Eileen Morales, properly structured home tournament. Great job. Well done. Pitching for this, it's hard because you look at this and you think Georgia Tech is an ACC team. Georgia Tech is hosting. Conceivably, Georgia Tech is the toughest game here. But I can make the argument that the hardest game of the weekend is going to be Villanova. And that, to me, makes me wonder when you're going to deploy what I think are the the obvious first three pitching-wise, which are Torrance, Beaver, and Brisky. And then you've got people like Salt and Johnson who you know can go. Uh, And then Esmond, of course, I think matchups are going to be key there. But I just I don't know the order yet, the structure of what that staff will look like. And it's hard to know matchup wise because we haven't seen these teams yet this year. Right. And, you know, especially when you're playing a team like, say, like Longwood, you know, remember last year, Longwood beat Florida State in the preseason. We played them in one of the home tournaments. Can't remember if it was Bama Bash, Crimson Classic, one of them. Beat Duke while we were recording this podcast last yes. year. So, you know, they've had some really big wins, but transfer portal graduations, no one really knows, especially the mid-majors, yeah. uh, what they're going to look like year in and year out. You know, they're probably going to be coached well, but you don't know, you know, where things are going to fall. So, yeah, it's hard to know. But, you know, you know a little bit more about Georgia Tech and Villanova to a lesser extent. So, yeah, it, it's very difficult to figure out who's going to pitch where. I feel like I want to give Brisky Georgia Tech Friday just to kind of give her a under the lights, I, I you know, Georgia Tech's road environment, all due respect to Eileen Morales and that program. It's not as daunting as some of the ones we will see later this year. Sure. But I think it'd be good to kind of throw her into the fire a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, everyone's going to be amped up. It's going to be the, you know, the first weekend especially if she hadn't pitched the day before that that might be the time to do it. Yeah. Otherwise it's hard for me to answer that question. Yeah. So I don't know. Rest of the schedule, Bama bash, St. Thomas, Virginia, Southern Indiana. I want to circle Virginia a little bit. I know people are like Virginia. Virginia tech is the team to worry about. Virginia has got a young pitcher who was a freshman last year who is pretty darn good. And we've seen a lot of who's in the summer leagues. Like we know they've got talented people, it hasn't necessarily come together. If you you look at the politics of Virginia softball, that's been historically a hard place to win. But Virginia is not someone that you're just going to run over. No, they were a team until the last couple of weeks last last year were in the fight to get in a regional. Yeah, they were on the boat. They had beaten Virginia Tech, and I think Brady had them in briefly, and then they got swept by Syracuse, and that was it. Right. So uh, that they're a team that might be a, play, a player or two away which they might have gotten in the offseason who knows mm. uh, uh, to be a more of a contender to at least you know be in the middle of the pack and and possibly get a uh a tournament spot from the acc so uh, a team that could come in and give you some some issues so you got you got to be ready to play and a team like st thomas who 
has recently moved up to the D1 level, uh, but they've played in a lot of big tournaments. And they've, they've played against a lot of really great teams. Last two years, they've gotten somebody. Two right. years ago, they got South Florida. Last year, they got Wisconsin. Kept them out of the tournament. Yeah. So you don't want to be the one, you know? Exactly. You don't want to be that one. Right. And as we've, you know, we're going to go through some of this non-conference schedule, there isn't as many marquee matchups in the non-conference as we've seen the last couple of years. So it makes it even more important if you're Alabama, got to take care of your business because yep. you can't afford those losses. Absolutely. Including at the Green and Gold Classic. This is in Birmingham. Hometown, what up? UAB, Western Carolina. Bradley! Caitlin Gambone. See you soon, girl. Yes. Our old friend. Good friends. FTCL. FTCL. A links, if you will. RIP links. Yeah, they're gone. Uh, UAB, Western Carolina, Bradley. You know, I, it'll be fun to be in Birmingham. But I really like their press box. I now. do. I do. One. Yes. I, I, we have our little little cubicle yeah, little situation. Little cubicle. You just sit there. We'll, you know, enjoy hopefully better weather than what we've had at, at Birmingham the last few times. That's so. right. I can fit yeah. the GoPro in portrait because we're so close together. Oh, wow. There, which yeah. is great. As I've learned with all these hype videos, you know, sometimes we're a little farther apart than I need us to be. <laughs> but it's okay. We've also got a non-con game at Jacksonville State. Will it be played? My hope is yes, but weather has been just a, frankly, a bitch when it comes to these <laughs> games against the uh, Gamecocks of Jacksonville State. The one time, and I think this was actually, it was during my tenure, tenure but I think it might have been before you joined when we played at Jacksonville State, uh, and we actually had good weather, it was really nice, the amount of people that were there, it was like at North Alabama last year, and maybe add another thousand. Oh, wow. It, yeah, just people hanging from the rafters. Uh, at Jacksonville State so hopefully we get good weather and we can play that game so uh, not only Jacksonville State fans but the Alabama fans up in, in North Alabama can have a chance the Crimson Classic seems like it is the big bellwether tournament wise Northern Iowa who we expect to probably win the Missouri Valley this year South Alabama with Olivia Lackey back yet again mm. to try and beat an SEC team and Arizona, a team that missed the NCAA tournament last year. And I would be pretty confident predicting that they won't miss it again this year. Right. Yeah, these are three very interesting teams. One, you know, Northern Iowa, the alma mater of one Patrick Murphy mm -hmm. coming to Tuscaloosa. South Alabama, who the last time they came to Tuscaloosa, I, I didn't enjoy it. They beat us. Yeah. They won. They did. That's a tournament team, too. Sure. Like, yeah. I, I, South Alabama's another squad that I would be shocked if we don't see them in the NCAA tournament. And then Arizona, a team who we randomly on a random podcast talked for five minutes about how in the world did they miss the, the, the tournament with as many great players as they have. It's not going to, they're not going to make a habit of missing the NCAA tournament. No. So, um, you know, you got to think they're going to be on a revenge tour, so to speak. Well, Kalen Lowe did that thing that really good coaches do, which is like, it didn't work. And so they completely reshuffle. They yeah. got a brand new staff in there. Olivia DiNardo is back. I think if the pitching comes along, Arizona's dangerous. Yeah. You know, sometimes, especially if you're a young first-time head coach, you know, you got to evaluate what works and what doesn't work. Right. And you don't know what doesn't work until it doesn't work. So, you know, there you go. So you figure that out and uh, you reevaluate and you're at a place like Arizona, which has so much history and uh, the athletic department as a whole having some issues, mm -hmm. but you know, their interim athletic director is going to be very uh, supportive of the softball program. One would think yes. that they won't get, you know, the hand pushing away from Mike Andrea. Right. Exactly. So 
Um, I, I I think that Arizona will be a factor in this final year of the Pac-12. Which one one little off kilter comment? I just I'm obsessed with the concept of legendary head coaches coming back and being ads for like six months. You know, Mike Andre at Arizona. This is now the second stint for my dear friend R.C. Slocum at A&M as the athletic director. Like, I love that because they're not going to do anything to screw over your school. They love that school. Exactly. They're they're coming in to try to give some sort of stability when things things have gone off kilter. And, man, Ross Bjork really just said, I'm out. He we outed hard. (laughs) He Tiffany greened all over him. He was like, I'm going for $40 I will take it at Ohio State. Tom, we're going back to the portal. No. Are you ready to learn how to circus in Tallahassee with the Florida State Seminoles? I guess. Is the curse broken? We broke it last year, but boy, it's curses can really rear their ugly heads when you go on the road. Uh, Again, so in case you don't know, when we last time Alabama went to Tallahassee, like, Three weeks later, the world shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Things didn't go well on the field. And then three weeks later, it really didn't go well. Right. So that that the hope is that we go back and just close any portal issues that you might have there. Virginia Tech a couple times at Rhodes. That'll be, I think, really interesting. Virginia Tech, a tough team to evaluate. How much better is Emma Limley now that the pitching rules have adjusted for her a little bit? Right. Uh, Pete DeBoer, obviously a very good coach. Virginia Tech not getting a ton of love in the ACC preseason polls. Everybody's talking Florida State, Clemson, Duke. We'll see how the Hokies come out. Also, of course, the SEC slate. Florida at Georgia, at Kentucky, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, at Arkansas, Tennessee, at Auburn. You can break it down any way you want. This is one of the two or three hardest conference slates any team in the SEC has this year. It's a tough slate, but at the same time, a lot of the teams that are going to be picked in and around and maybe above you in the uh, conference standings, you get to play. So you can take care of your own business. Uh, You're not going to have to be rooting for somebody else to beat the teams. You can do it yourself. So, but at the same time, those teams can beat you. So it's a, it's a tough spot to be in, but as I've said before, I kind of like that Alabama plays Georgia early on. So you can kind of see where you are. You know, it may all come down to that home series against Tennessee with a, and then going to Auburn to finish things up. Mm, yes. Our trip to Auburn. Really excited. Going to be there for a while. Spending so much time down on the blames. Coach Dean, we need that elk steak. <laughs> Get, put it on the grill because I can only go to Mama Goldberg so many times. Yeah. I Look, casseroles are expensive in this economy. You know, inflation. <laughs> right. Cost of gas for the stove that you have to turn on <laughs> yes. now to preheat. <laughs> A lot of stuff. A lot of issues. <laughs> Somewhere Sherry is laughing? It's going to be a great year. But I think that as we look at the last bullet point, you know, we've done this for six years now. It's been the same final bullet point for the at the play segment of the premiere. Season expectations. Patrick Murphy hates the word. Right. But we have to talk about it. We have to talk about what the ceiling is, what the floor is. And this is the first time we've done this where my answer is I'm not quite sure. I think I know that the floor is not super low. Right. I would be, it would be an upset if Alabama did not host a regional this year. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Things are not going to just fall apart in any form or fashion. But where does the ceiling go? I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Alabama is not going to get the non-conference cushion that they got last year. 
with this schedule there. Now you could have some teams that surprise. I think Virginia is a candidate there. You, you hope Arizona and South Al are really good, but you don't have that murderers row of Florida state Duke, all those games that you played in the non-con. So it's hard to know where this team is going to fit in on the national landscape. And I think as we get ready to advance to first, that also is kind of an sec problem this year. I really don't know where most of the teams in the league are from a national perspective. Yeah. Uh, as far as Alabama goes, I think that there is a chance where Alabama is just going to kind of keep creeping up the rankings as the season starts off and still no one's going to really be talking about them until that first, that week in uh, March mm. when you got Florida at home at Florida state at Georgia. It feels very much like the trajectory could mirror 2019. Right. Which ended up well. That did. And that, that team non-conference, I, I think that the non-conference metrics were not actually indicative of that team because the, they did play some really high ranking teams, including Arizona on the road. Yeah. But no one was talking about them really at all until people looked up and Alabama was tied for first midway through the sec standings with like, I think it was Auburn yeah. at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I, I, that could very well be the case. Uh, the main thing is, as we said, you just got to avoid, you know, stubbing your toe against, you know, a Western Carolina or a Longwood or some point, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of your business to be in that and be in that spot to where you're not fighting against splotches on the resume. Right. Should we look at the rest of the sec? All right. All right. So who should we be? It's our first time 2024 season. Who are we? We should probably be somebody on that senior and grads list. Let's go with Jenna Johnson. All right. I think so. I've been talking about the Genesance for years. I think now's the time that they're well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she looks the best she's ever looked in her career. Yes. Offensively. And the defense will be there. Let's be Jenna Johnson. All right. All right. Sounds We're good. Jenna Johnson ripping it through the left side or the right side. Or the right. Or up the middle. Mm. Not, not trying to take out Patrick Murphy in the third base coaching <laughs> box. Doing our best. Yes. We're advancing to first and we come back the SEC breakdown. Oh yes. Things have actually changed even since media days with some of these rosters. A pretty big change in a couple of them. Yes. We'll discuss all of that when we return here on the Other Box Podcast. Welcome back to the season six premiere of the Out of the Box podcast. I didn't even mention this at the outset. This is our 126th overall episode. Wow. So we didn't even do anything for 125 because 125 was an off topic about the Iron Claw. (laughs) How about that? Roll Tide. Roll Tide to that. (laughs) Horns up to that. Horns up. But maybe horns down to some of the preseason all SEC selections. Mm. In a way. Yeah. We can discuss it. Sure. We're advancing to first. Time to preview the SEC. The preseason all SEC team. So these are not the same people that are some somehow have left Mark Sears off of oh national gosh. and conference player of the year. What are we doing? Come on. Sorry to no, it's okay. Bring that up. But well, you know what? Remember just a reminder that all lists are not all encompassing. Agree. Well, but in a way, this is because we're still operating under the Haley Lee rule, which is That's true. Everyone can be in. Everyone is. Positions be damned. You can be a preseason all SEC selection if you're on a roster. Imagine if you're a pitcher who hits unnecessarily. You oh can my do gosh. It. Everyone can be a cook. <laughs> the preseason all SEC team. 
you've got a lot of the people that you'd expect to see. A little surprise, there's one Arkansas name, but the one is one that makes a lot of sense, Rowland Hedgecock. Auburn got Maddie Penta. Nelia Peralta's on there. Of course, you know, big name Skylar Wallace is there. Georgia's got a few people. Aaron Koffel could be the best player in this league. We'll see if she gets any pitches to hit right this year mm-hmm. lsu's got that great senior class missouri has those two phenomenal studs honald and laird tennessee's got kiki and the rest of the crew hard to really take anybody off the list but of course there were some snubs including kayla beaver who was on the usa preseason top 50 list but not on the preseason preseason all sec list well and i think that's kind of just indicative of people aren't sure if she's going to be able to make the jump from right. central Arkansas to Alabama, which I'm not one of those people. I think that I think it's fair analysis, it's, but it's fair analysis, Yeah. Right. I think when they do, if they do a mid season or however they, they do the all sec lists, uh, she'll be on there. I, I think it's very surprising. Some of the people that Arkansas did not get on here. Like I know Brie Ellis is new, but she was the SEC freshman of the year a couple years ago. And yeah, she did in the SEC. So everyone should know. Yeah. Yeah. Reagan Johnson was an SEC freshman of the year finalist last year. Unofficially. We don't have the voting, but I assume she was in the running. Sure. Nia Carter is literally a career 415 hitter transferring in from Iowa. Like if we're going to add some new people, Vodder's on here. So we know it can be done. Right. Nia Carter should probably be on this list too. Right. Bigger lists. We need more. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is that these 24 people is not enough. Right. We need, let's just go 30. (laughs) If we don't have positions, might as well. Like what, 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 why arbitrarily 24? I don't know. Especially next year when there are more teams. That'd be fun. We we are probably going to have to increase it. I would assume. I mean, if you don't half this list is Oklahoma, Texas, right? Because they're going to be so young. Preseason top 50. Just screw it. Top 100. Everyone's in. Everyone. So that came out as did yeah. the preseason SEC coaches poll. So as we are wont to do, we will break it down by place. Tom, have you ever seen anything like what we're seeing in these top two spots? I'm going to clump them together. Tennessee and Georgia. Tennessee, the one. Georgia, the two. Both got six first place votes. The extraneous one we'll talk about later. Tennessee, one point higher, 137 to 136 over Georgia. This has got to be the closest we've ever yeah, seen. I would certainly assume so. And I think that one uh, first place vote that went to somebody other than Tennessee, Georgia, that ballot is probably what broke the tie. Probably. Because it knocked Georgia further down than they probably should be. So, yeah, what a what an um, – and I should know this, but does Tennessee play Georgia in the regular season? They do. Yes. When More on that, that later. Okay. It's right, right in the middle of conference play. WrestleMania weekend. Oh my gosh! Is oh, that WrestleMania? That is WrestleMania weekend. Will this be one of those times where you're watching WrestleMania and I'm like, Tom, I need to peel you over here for just a second? Yeah, because I remember last year there was something going on, but it wasn't. It wasn't Georgia versus Tennessee. Well, two years ago we were in Fayetteville. Yeah, and Kentucky Georgia had gone off the rails. Like Kentucky True. was winning like ten to one, and Georgia came back to win something right. insane. Okay, and uh, you were super into Bad Bunny and all the stuff. And <laughs> who I was wasn't like, really though? I was like Tom. I got. I like you need to watch the end of this game. I <laughs> okay. don't know what's happening. Yeah. Right. So what 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 will be happening as Georgia and Tennessee are facing off, and the Rock and Roman Reigns are going? It's going to be amazing. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So Tennessee. 
We've talked about this roster. You've got everybody offensively pretty much coming back. Claire Boutte went in the portal, but otherwise everybody else is there, including Kiki Malloy, who is probably one of the big three. I think that they're, you know, those, those three offensive players that people view as the favorites to win player of the year, Koffel, Wallace, Malloy, mm-hmm. and Kiki might be the best all around player of those three. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Kiki's would be none, my number one. Yeah. Pitching staff wise, no, Ashley Rogers. I think that the key to Tennessee success, Peyton Gotchel, Carlin Pickens. Do we see the Carlin Pickens that we saw, you know, shut down Clemson and pitch okay against Oklahoma? Or do we see the Carlin Pickens that we saw in person where we saw probably her three worst outings of the year? Right. Yeah. And, and I think she kind of, she had that really great, you know, preseason mm-hmm. or non-conference. She was just unhittable. Um, Alabama finally got to her and then she kind of struggled for a few weeks and then kind of put it back together. Right. Uh, so I think, yeah, I, I think we will see, I don't know if we'll see her just being as absolutely lights out as she was in February of last year. Uh, but I think she's going to be, uh, legitimate. Yeah. We should also note Mackenzie Donahue, not back. She medically retired. So, you know, we heard, Karen Weekly talk about one of their freshmen who who was looking like a potential starter in the infield. Uh, that could be an easy slip in for for that position and really not lead to any drop off at all. Donna, who obviously a really good player, had has done a lot for Tennessee in her time, but is one that you may be able to replace at least the production of relatively easily, considering uh, how talented the the younger players are for the Lady Balls. And that's Bella Faw, by the way, that freshman. Also, you got Laura Mueller, who we've seen play short. We have, right? yes. Lots of lots of options. Sure. Where do you throw Julia Katsoyanopoulos now that they have an actual catcher on the roster in Sophia Nugent? Yeah, but Katsoyanopoulos did well for, she did. for them behind the plate. So there's a reason why they're the number one team in these lists. And in national polls, you know, two or or three, you know, they're, they're legitimately a national championship contending team right off the bat. And I think you can make the same case for Georgia as well, because they too bring back everybody. 98% of hits, 99% of innings pitched. Goodness gracious. Good night, Irene. And they were good last year. They were. Yeah. You got Kuma, Kearney, Mosley, gigantic bats right there. Kerpix is back in the circle. Walters is back. They add Bacchus, Lily Bacchus, the lefty from UNC, who was really good, but had no help. You bring in Sarah Gordon from Louisville, who was one of the best catchers in the ACC last year. Tony Baldwin has talked about the freshman and how he feels like this is the best overall roster Georgia's ever had. So the door is, is quite, there. Which is quite the statement. By yes. The way. Like it, the belief seems to be that this is a team that can win a national championship and at the very least win the SEC. Like it almost feels from the outside, like they are expecting to win the conference this year. Yeah. I mean, if Tennessee wasn't there, I think that would be the obviously the far and away favorite to win the win the conference. Easy. Uh, same thing. If Georgia Georgia wasn't there, Tennessee would be far and away. So I think it's not going out on a limb to say it's going to come down to Tennessee or Georgia as things look right this moment. I would agree with that. Just I mean that is so much yellow. Yeah. Like I had to get a new pen after marking up the Georgia <laughs> roster. Same deal with LSU. I mean they are third in the preseason poll. A little bit further back from those top two, but you bring back that great senior class that we've spent so much time talking about Briggs, Pleasance, Newland, Coffee. I mean, you've got the bats 
you bring in a Kelly Lynch from Washington who can pitch and who can play first base. You've got a really good freshman class. Tori Edwards is a phenomenal power bat who I think is going to be a potential SEC freshman of the year pick this year. You lose Ailey Johnson to Alabama and you lose the big, the big one, Allie Kilponen. So Berzon, Sydney Berzon, a sophomore now has got a lot on her shoulders this year. And if she suffers any kind of drop off, I think LSU could be vulnerable again. Yeah. I think it's going to come down to that pitching staff because lineup wise, they are more than set. Oh, this, this might be the best top half of a lineup in the conference. So the question is one, will that pitching staff be able to hold up their end of the bargain? And then two, will LSU be able to, not underachieve, which frankly they've done the last few years. It's been a minute since they've been to OKC. Yeah, I mean, as we as I've said numerous times now, it'd be a shame and, and very surprising if someone like Taylor Pleasance never plays at Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, you know, goes her entire career. There, there are there are so many high-level players on this team. Will they be able to put it all together, which for some reason just haven't been able to do the last few years? And also LSU does get the benefit of the bye the last weekend in conference play. So if you can get yourself in a spot and get to the clubhouse, you never know in a messy SEC what will happen, especially since their last two series are at Tennessee and Arkansas at home. So you put up a good number, you know, you, you pull a Nick Dunlap and yeah. you, you shoot well and head to the clubhouse and have an Arnold Palmer, things could fall your way. I, I always like when you have that chance to, to finish early. Um, and kind of see how everybody else does at the end, and LSU's in that spot here this year. Number four is Arkansas. The Razorbacks. Shanice Dels has gone. Mm. What a, what a two years! I mean, burst onto the scene, and then we were all like, "Great year. We'll see how it goes this time." And then right. she was like, "Bet, yeah," and, and was none. just as good, yes, if not better. So I always discuss, you know, that that SEC tournament game, Alabama against Arkansas. Obviously, oh. we think about the Montana injury and, and how that, but how much of a, just a, a war between Fouts and Dells it was for the eight innings until that happened. Just a, an amazing performance by everybody. But she's gone. So now what does Arkansas do in the circle? Robin Heron as a freshman last year, certainly showed some flashes. Hannah Kamenzins, you know, good little lefty, couple things to like there. Reese Burline out of the portal from Mississippi State. Morgan Linestock, we've seen her for years, transferring in from Southern Miss. It feels Callie actually Turner, FGCL. Callie Turner, FGCL. I see a lot of similarities between Alabama and Arkansas's pitching staffs in terms of how they might operate this year. Yeah, they they have a lot of arms that do a lot of different things. So you're right. going to be able to mix and match a little bit. I think Alabama's uh, pitching staff probably has a little bit more top-level talent I'd agree. Uh, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying though, that, you know, as far as your ability to mix and match, they're right there. Yeah. And then the lineup, you add Nia Carter who like, look her up. I mean, I'm like, she is huge. This is a gigantic get Briellis from Auburn. If she becomes somebody who hits 15 home runs and she fits right in and she's been that person for most of her career, Hedgecock is back. That's gigantic. Uh, you've got Reagan Kramer, perusing in left field causing all the drama catching all the balls and just overall lineup with with new hitting coach dj gasso that's going to be dangerous yeah it's gonna be a very dangerous lineup for sure offensively kind of similar to what lsu what i just said with lsu though is you have that great lineup will the pitching be able to hold up their end of the bargain right can they get there number five is auburn 
with Maddie Penta. But is it? But okay, we'll we'll discuss. Maddie Penta back in the circle. Your reigning SEC Pitcher of the Year. That is her name. Indeed. Penta comma Maddie right here. Yes. On the roster. Uh, obviously a great year last year. I, I think it was so good that it overshadowed the fact that Shelby Lowe still is not back to where she was. Annabelle Weidra was fine as well. But neither of them were what Auburn needed to make a deep run. And we're quickly learning that while pitching does win in the postseason, you've got to have that second person who can be shut down at times as well. And Auburn didn't have that last year. They also lost a lot of offensive pieces. So it is, I feel like, a Maddie Penta-driven bit of hype for the Tigers this year and for Mickey Dean. Yeah, but different, completely opposite from what we talked about just now with LSU at Arkansas. I think Auburn will have the pitching. Will the offense be able to hold up their end of the bargain? Right. Maddie Penta, the best, if one of, if not the best pitcher in the league, uh, but you've got to have somebody else. There's somebody else has to be able to take some, some pressure off her because Mickey Dean talked about it when we were talking with him in, during SEC media days before the Elf State comment. They were having to pitch Maddie Pinta on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Right. And they got to have somebody that can do, can do that so Maddie doesn't have to pitch in those games. Uh, so she's more at 100% in those conference series at the end of the week. So that, that's, that's going to be the thing. Who is going to step up? Is it going to be Shelby Lowe? Is there somebody else that's going to be that number two that can take some pressure off of Maddie Pinta? And then will they be able to score enough runs? Yeah, Noya Peralta, so good. Like OBP basically 500. Beyond that, like you lost most of your good bats either to the portal or to graduation. Yeah. So someone has to be a difference maker. Well, and as we talked about with uh, Coach Dean as well, somebody that we saw a lot of in uh, in the summer league was Abby Smith, mm-hmm. who I, was very impressive. If she's not an outfield starter, I'll be shocked. Yeah, certainly be shocked. And there, there are two or three others, too, that we've seen a lot of in those uh, in FGCL and MCCL, those type of things that if it transfers to the collegiate level, the SEC level, they got some weapons there, but there's a lot of question marks. I would agree. Beyond Auburn is number six, Alabama. And we talked about the tide, but yes. I figured maybe we could mention just briefly our thoughts on the placement of six. I know last year I went back and listened to Premier and we had some, some I think, very mathematical and statistical analysis of why Alabama at four was actually a sign of respect compared to where it looked like the numbers placed everybody right. all around them last year. Yeah, I feel like in a way this year is kind of the same. It feels like a lot of the coaches have questions about Alabama, but didn't know where to put them. And that's why there's a pretty big gap between five and a pretty big gap between seven. And everything kind of just averaged out to six. Like there was a a significant median number for Alabama. Whereas I feel like Auburn and Florida, they got everything across the board. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of questions for Alabama. Yeah. We've been at every practice and scrimmage in one form or another, and we have questions. I literally listed two separate lineups for opening weekend earlier in this show. Right. So, yeah, there are question marks, and I think though that's fair to have that analysis. But, yeah, there's nobody that's picking Alabama to finish 12th. Right. You know, people are say, well, I don't really know what Alabama has, but Alabama is going to be Alabama, and they're going to figure – they're, they're going to be good. I think this is, this is not a situation like in 2019 when Alabama was put at 8th for – inexplicable reasons right in in the preseason poll there i think there is a lot of respect in that alabama they weren't just tanked out i do have some questions on how 
a team like Auburn is ahead of Alabama. I would agree. I, I also wonder about the team right behind them, Florida, who's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about. Yeah. Florida gets a first place vote here. They're pick seven. So that means at least two people have them close to 10th, yeah. if not 10th, mathematically. It's interesting that Florida got a number, a number one vote. Here's And here's the thing. Like, the reason why I kept picking Kentucky as high as I did, because they had the best player right. in Kelly Kowalik. Mm-hmm. But that meant I put them in the top five. Yeah. That didn't mean I put them number one. Right. I think you can make the argument Scott Wallace is the best player in the conference. Sure. That doesn't mean they're the number, the Florida's number one team. Yeah. I mean, it is Florida. They kind of have the same cachet that Alabama does. It's like, well, they're not going to finish last. Yeah. They're going to figure out how to, how to do things. You know, they did it last year. They struggled in a lot of spots last year and you know, they had a respectable finish, but Scott Wallace is going to be able to take them so much. They have two really highly thought of pitchers. Mm-hmm. They're both freshmen. Yep. We don't know what they're going to, and there may be an injury issue with at least one of them. Have never seen them throw a collegiate pitch. No idea what they're going to do. So it, I think putting them number one, I don't understand it. Let's dive into the Florida Gators. Sure. So Skyler, yes. Yes. Kendra Falby, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Running out of guesses. Uh, Reagan Walsh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good year last year. Avery Gales, yes. FGCL. FGCL. Right. Uh, Emily Wilkie, uh, Katie Kissler. Um, we're we're go- we're moving into okays. Okay, yes. Let's go down to the pitching. Wow. Uh, I don't see any yellow on that sheet, Tom. There is. They have zero returning innings. That's which impossible. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that. At the same time, they're probably like, well, you know what? That was our issue last year. So it was like the worst team ERA in years. Yeah. So total reboot. Back to the lab. I mean, Florida's season comes down to all the written names right here under newcomers. Mm-hmm. You talked about the freshman, Ava Brown, Keegan Rothrock. Huge names. For sure. Coming in. Can they live up to it? Can Olivia Miller, another freshman pitcher, can she be a stabilizer when it's not Brown and Rothrock? Can Mackenzie Wooten, as Tim Walton talked about in media days, the one solo upperclassman pitcher on this roster, provide some experience, even though – Again, no it's disrespect to this program. She's coming from Virginia, who hasn't been to an NCAA tournament in a long time. Right. I mean, Jocelyn Erickson is a great catcher. Corby Otis has been getting a lot of love in the preseason. She had a great year at Louisville. But I just don't know with so much of Florida outside of Skyler and Falby. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I don't know if I had to put Florida in the top seven. But at the same time, I have a hard time picturing Florida finishing lower than seventh. Right. So it's, it's really weird. It's a weird spot to be in. I'm in exactly the same boat, okay. as we'll get to later. Good. All right. Preseason polls. Texas A&M is eighth. Us agreeing with each other. Great podcast. Mm. That's what we do. Well, remember last year <laughs> where we ended up averaging and we had Alabama winning the league, even though neither of us had Alabama. <laughs> was, right. Correct. Oh, man. Uh, Texas A&M has picked eighth. Just just like under the radar. Just sneaky. Yeah. I mean, they're they're going to be solid. I don't know how good. I'm pretty sure they're not going to be bad, but I know that they're going to be solid. They feel like, I mean this respectfully, they feel like a good baseline. Like when you establish a baseline in the SEC, I feel yeah. like you'll look at A&M and then you'll see how things maneuver around them. But this feels like a team with Coco Woolley, Julia Cottrell, three really experienced pitchers coming back, a lot of really impressive additions, freshman and portal wise. This feels like an A&M team that has a top five ceiling. It does, but at the same time, 
like it, in considering a couple of teams that are below them, I think eight's a little high for Texas A&M. Really? Yeah. Okay. Again, a lot of a lot of question marks, and the ones that aren't question marks, as far as returning, I still have questions about them. Sure, if that makes sense. So it's, um, I think I don't think they're going to be bad, like you said. I don't know if I see a fifth, like a ceiling as high as five. Okay. So you have questions about the team at nine. I do. All right. That's South Carolina. What the heck? How there, There's no way that they should be lower than like fourth or fifth. This is obscene. Yeah. This tells me, I didn't think they did this, but that the coaches don't look at schedules when they do this poll. No. Because no. Yeah. my biggest argument for South Carolina is a top five lock for five months has been they get the easiest schedule in the league. Yeah. Between schedules and... By the way, a lot of Vodder. Have you heard of Ms. Vodder <laughs> right. coming in from Stanford? She's going for 40. She And she probably will get it. She's very good. You add Denver Bryant. You add Brie Warren. Kiana Jones has national team experience. Sage Marjetko is getting like a lot of love as a freshman. I, our dear friend Brady Vernon, now of Softball America, has coined South Carolina's potentially Stanford East, where you've got Vodder as Vodder and Marjetko as the Kennedy kind of name, which would make that an interesting roster. I, I don't see a world where they're ninth. I just don't get it. No, uh, I'm with you. They're, they're a dark horse to win the entire league. I, there are questions for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, as an, as an always, when you bring in people, will it all gel together? Will Anabater be able to handle being in the SEC, which I don't see any reason why she wouldn't, but, you know, it's, the grind is a little bit different, even from what the Pac-12 offers. Right. So, yeah, there there are some challenges there. I I don't think I don't think they're going to be ninth. That's for sure. You'll hear it. Later yeah. In our poll, we'll discuss Kentucky ten. Aaron Koffel, one of the big three. Stephanie Schoonover, if she's healthy, whose pitching has a firm answer? Yes. Outside of those two, I'm not sure what. The strength is for this Kentucky team. I don't see who protects Koffel. Nesby just isn't that kind of player. She's a table setter for Koffel to drive in. The Maybe, de- yeah, the depth for me is the issue. Yeah, and, and behind Schoonover, you added Jaden Vickers from Rutgers. Lakatena, it just it hasn't come together yet. I'm to the point where I got to see it now. Yeah, I just I just don't know about Kentucky. Yeah, uh, they are certainly an enigma. As we as we've discussed, yes, but this uh, this one might be, unfortunately, in a negative way, a little bit easier to figure out than past years. Yeah. All right, moving on to Missouri, Larissa Anderson, our pal from Como, Alex Honnold, and Jenna Laird, just like, boom. Yeah. And then a lot of people got to prove some things. You know, I mean, Lauren Krings is back. That's your ace, but you lost Weber. So who is the number two? Is it Sierra Harrison? Is it one of these freshmen? Uh, Missouri feels very wait and see to me. At the same time, when I pick Missouri later, I'm going to talk about how much I hate the pick because I just don't see Larissa Anderson coach teams underachieving two years in a row. Yeah, I think that that's the that's the main thing. Is yet last year, you know, and it's not like they were just god awful last year, but right. they, you know they were lower than what their projections would have put them. At we we saw them have some really good games at times last year, but they weren't able to have anything consistently go their way. Larissa Anderson is not going to have that happen two years in a row. I, right. You would not think. I wouldn't think so. Uh, but 
someone someone's got to finish 10th i know you know it's, someone's got to finish 11th so it's yeah it's a uh, they they will have to have some significant improvement behind those names you just said uh for them to kind of break that glass ceiling and, and get above middle of the pack so normally when we do this we go very quickly about the bottom we just spent a little bit talking about missouri but i think we might have to expand a little bit on number 12 which is old miss mm. so we spent a lot of time talking to jamie Traxel media days about a huge portal edition named courtney day coming from texas known power quantity like seemed like the key to the offense right and about two weeks ago after some back channel texting we notice that courtney day is no longer on the old miss roster surely that's just a oversight by whoever's putting the roster up on the website Unfortunately, no. Mm. Uh, Brady Vernon from Softball America texted the SID, emailed the SID, got confirmation. Courtney Day no longer with the team. What? Like, I... And that's it. We have no further information from anyone involved. And we'll probably never get it. Right. And that, in some ways, that's okay. But from an Ole Miss standpoint, that is as big a loss as anybody who graduated from a team last year, let alone somebody that you were counting on as your offensive cornerstone this year who leaves two weeks before the season. Yeah. I, yeah. And it brings up questions. Why, you know, they mm-hmm. have, they've had a lot of coaching turnover. They've had now a lot of player turnover without a lot of explanation. Yeah. And not only explanation now, like how do you replace somebody like Courtney day when you can't add anybody else to your roster It's two weeks before the season starts. Courtney day was going to be, you know, your three or four hole hitter. And now what you got? Not much. I mean, I see. you're going to have to have Lexi Brady step up. Paige Smith needs to have the best year of her career. And this pitching staff has got to be better than they've ever been before. And that's to even, I think, get to like middle of the pack. Right. Like, I, I, I can't even stress how much Courtney Day leaving lowers Ole Miss's floor. Simply put. Yeah. And the ceiling. Yeah. And the ceiling. I mean, yeah. it, it, it moves the whole house. <laughs> it does. It's just... <laughs> you have slid off the foundation. Oh my gosh. And Jaden Pone is good, but that's, it's a leadoff hitter, you know, right. and, and she and Lassiter are going to be just a nightmare for defenses, but who's driving them in? Yeah. I don't know. It, it does put a damper on like opening the new stadium, like all, all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, what might have been your best player overall is just not on your team. Yeah. So I don't know with Ole Miss, but, it just it, the vibes are not good. No, right now, Mississippi State is the one SEC team that missed the tournament last year. They're thirteenth in the preseason poll. Uh, I think that the biggest winner from all this at Ole Miss is probably Mississippi State. Yeah, because we'll get to it later. Things shifted around for me personally, but if you just get a little bit better overall production, then maybe you can be one of those sneaky teams that causes some problems for the upper echelon of the league. Yeah, if they. I don't have their schedule right in front of me, but if they take somebody... They've got Tennessee at home. Yeah. If they take a game from the Lady Balls, that could, you know, decide the league. Yeah, they get Florida at home. They got Georgia at home. Like Right. So you have both Tennessee and Georgia coming to Sartville. Yeah. You know, which team gets a sweep and which team only three two only gets a 2-1 or, Lord forbid, loses the series, could decide who wins this conference. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of... That's a lot on you, Mississippi State. Right. Like, no pressure yeah you can but, you can change everyone's yes. lives 
you might not win a ring, but you can decide who does. And, you know, those type of wins, though, say you do get a win in one of those series or a couple, um, can be the difference between whether or not you make the tournament or not. All right. That's our SEC breakdown. Real quick, Tom, before we get ready to steal second, we've got two more segments. We've got the FGCL preseason team, and then we've got opening weekend and the biggest games. Mm, so yes. here we go. FGCL preseason. Actual softball to be played. Here, no more polls. No. Except for the ones we'll be voting on. All right. So I'll read the names, and then you will pick a FGCL preseason player of the year. Uh, and I said the FGCL, this is all league. So this includes the MCCL. So it's actually the ACL. The ACL. Yes. I beg your pardon. Which slip is, of the tongue. Which is expanding even as oh, we speak. This is, I know I said last year was the last year of tracking. This is the last year of tracking. I updated the document and I was like, oh, I can still do this. Next year, there are five leagues. I can't. So this will be the final year of tracking everyone's stats. This will be the final year of ACL player of the week just for my own sanity what else are you possibly doing i apparently editing every podcast in the world and hosting five of them or something the acl preseason team pitcher lena elkins charlotte Alyssa zabala louisville and cat gallant villanova who we will see opening weekend your ftcl pitcher of the year catcher autumn owen north carolina olivia denardo arizona Infield, Alex Brown, Clemson, Tiffany Dominique, Georgia Tech. We'll see oh, her. We'll see her. Yes, that's right. Tori Hedgecock, Mercer, Brooklyn Maxwell, UNC Greensboro, and stalwart to this team, Marlena Bozik, George Mason. Outfield, Katie Lott, Oklahoma State, Hayden Sokolowski, Oklahoma State. A little bit of a flyer here. Hadn't done a lot with the Cowgirls, but what I saw this summer, she should be a starter. Kenny, don't mess this up. I was going to say, she must have been up up with you because I did not see yes, her. Yes, okay. she was excellent. Abby Smith, Auburn, Jules Garber, Delaware, DP, just had to put her in here. Jasoni Beecham, Florida State. Like, good Lord, run and hide. And uh, Utility, Shannon Cunningham, Arizona State, and Claire Davidson, Duke. And there are plenty of people that we didn't mention. Uh, our friend Jordan Stevens now up at Boston College. We hope that she has a great year. Ivy Rosenberry at Oklahoma State. She's going to have a lot more on her with Maxwell gone now. Boggs at Virginia, Jaden Jessman now at Eastern Illinois, Kylie Chung at Stanford. Which interestingly, you know, with Botter leaving, I think she might make as much of an impact for the Cardinal in the circle as she does at the plate. I think that's an excellent point. Jory Hurd, South Carolina, speaking, you know, with mm-hmm. Botter, that's yes. impactful mm-hmm. there as well. So a lot of people just missed, but now, Tom, you get to pick the ACL preseason player of the year. Or you can pick two and I'll pick. Okay. Uh, I am going to pick... Olivia DiNardo from Arizona and Jasana Beecham from Florida State. Do we take a flyer on someone who's never swung a bat? Never swung a bat. But, well, she's never swung a bat in college. In college. Obviously. But. but, Wow. And, yeah, and she wasn't available. She wasn't eligible to win the awards because she ended up only being able to play, like, two or three weekends of the league. But, man. I'm going to do it. Beecham. Jay Beecham, you are our ACL preseason player of the year with nary a collegiate stat to your name. <laughs> she will have some by the time we start doing the oh player gosh. of the week. So I know that much. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm already like dreading playing Florida State because I know. If she's not in the lineup, I will be stunned. Sh- yeah, just shocked. Yeah. How do you not put her and Michaela Edenfield back to back in that lineup? 
as a pitcher, there's nothing I can think of that's more daunting besides Tiari and Jada Coleman. Big time softball coming up opening weekend, Tom. Yes. We will do our thing. We will pick a game each, each day. Thursday is now like opening day. You know, a lot of times we do Friday as opening day and Thursday is like, oh, Mexico and a couple yeah, other, you know, right. now a lot of teams are playing Thursday. There's some legit games on Thursday. Yeah. So we've got options. Uh, you go first. Uh, well, I'm looking at, you know, speaking of Mexico, though, you'll go to Puerto Vallarta and you got the top 10 matchup between Duke and Oklahoma to start things off. Yep. Just not not dipping your toe in. You're just dump, jumping right into the deep end with Duke and o- OU. Uh, do you think the result of that game, whatever it is, will say more about Duke or Oklahoma? Uh, probably Duke. I kind of think so too. Yeah. Because, you know, Duke's going to be one of those teams, you know, we're talking about the ACC that they're, they're going to be a preseason pick. They're a world series caliber team. You get to see right where you stand right off the bat. Obviously if they get run ruled by OU, then you got to, got to go back to draw board, even if it's day one. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking that too. Like you could almost disqualify Duke from elite status if it's bad. Right. It's real bad. Yeah. If, uh, no if, matter what happens to OU, I think they're going to be good. Right. If, if if OU wins like 5-3 or something, you're like, okay, Duke can hang with them. It, yeah. It's, you know, it's fine. But yeah, if it's 12 nothing, then you're like, well, okay. Sticking to Mexico, I assume this will be the debut for one Jordy Ball at Nebraska against a interesting Washington team. They're picked 10th in one poll. They're also outside the top 20 in others. Sounds somewhat familiar, but Washington has, I think, like 17 people on the roster. It's just an odd year for the Huskies. Yeah. I don't know how good they're going to be, which I feel like makes them a perfect opponent for the Jordy Ball era to begin at Nebraska. For sure, yeah. It's a it's a great name. They're a team that can be really good, but we'll see what they're able to do with, you know, so much upheaval that they've had. Interestingly enough, like Oklahoma and Nebraska are in like three different tournaments together with each other this year and are not playing each other. If you're the if you're the one putting on the tournament, and like I have Oklahoma and Nebraska both here, how can I not? Even if Jordy, let's take Jordy Ball out of it. OU and Nebraska is a like natural rivalry. Yeah, they're not in the same conference, but you know, seventies and eighties. Oh my gosh, nineties. Yeah, that was all what college football was. Like, how are they not playing each other? I don't know, but I would like to see it. Yes, at some point, maybe. We won't see it on Friday. Uh, what game sticks out to you on what is a, a quite loaded roster? A true road game for Tennessee mm. taking on Baylor in Waco. A Baylor team that has been a giant killer before. They were the only one to beat Oklahoma last year. So that's an interesting uh, matchup for both the Bears and the Lady Balls. I'm going to go with the game that's on ESPN. Texas at UCLA. Is UCLA going to be UCLA this year there seems to be a lot of concern about the Bruins this season Texas I had number two in my preseason top 25 I think that they are extremely talented very deep pitching staff this is a chance to make a true statement on national television literally 48 hours into the season yeah it's it's a huge game for both these teams uh you know UCLA obviously we all remember what happened at the end of last year Mm -hmm. um you know losing in their own regional going and then taking on a team like Texas on ESPN Saturday, Florida, Michigan. This is a part of an opening weekend in Tampa where Florida is playing a bunch of teams that I think are good, but don't have good offenses. So 
it feels like an interesting way for Rothrock and Brown and these freshman pitchers to, get, to kind of dip their toes in the water. So I'm going to be paying attention to what Florida does this weekend, and in particular on Saturday against a Michigan team that missed the tournament last year and is going to want to get a marquee win opening weekend. You have Oregon taking on Clemson. Mm. That's a that's a big matchup in Clearwater. Clemson, there there's some question marks with Clemson, but they're still really highly ranked. Uh, Oregon could be one of those teams that is going to be fighting for the Pac-12. Yeah, you mentioned so. people in college for seven years. Perhaps that includes Valerie Cagle, who is back. My gosh. She's, she must have her doctorate. Congratulations, Dr. Cagle. <laughs> if we play Clemson, that's already a bit. Right, 100%. Neither of us mentioned it for Friday or Saturday, but Lehigh at A&M, just like Aggies, you know, be wary. Yeah. We've Careful. seen it. Look out, <laughs> Mountain Hawks. Sunday. I'm going to go a little bit off the board here. Um, Ole Miss is at Hawaii. Yeah. What wonderful trip. I'd love if at some point we can go back to Hawaii, Patrick Murphy, I'm in. You have to be focused. You have to, you have to stay worried about softball while you're at Hawaii. And somebody like Ole Miss going out there, which has so many question marks already. I have no idea what Hawaii has at yeah. all. Zero, zero knowledge. Our apologies. Of the Rainbow Warriors at this moment. <laughs> but you know, they're going to, you know, they love it when big teams come out to the islands. They have that chance. Almost going to have to, they, they have so many question marks. They need to play well or, you know, these are those type of games you can't afford to lose. And we talked about it last year. Ole Miss was in Mexico for two weeks. Yeah. And they had some sloppiness and non-con that we think is partially because of that. Yeah. That's, as great as it is to go to Hawaii there's a little bit of uh, recovery that you have to do on the way back. It's not a, it's not a short flight. Yeah. Oklahoma state's at UCLA. That's on ESPN. That's not my pick. I'm going Clemson, Missouri. Missouri has got a tournament in Clearwater or they're playing South Alabama and Liberty on Saturday. Clemson is the big one on Sunday. Missouri wins that game. I am intrigued. Yeah. And I start to look at Missouri a little bit more. If they don't, We'll see. It depends on how the loss goes. But this is a chance for Missouri to maybe, you know, kind of do what Larissa Anderson gets her teams to do. Kind of say like, hey, you should be paying attention to us. Yeah. And you could potentially be getting somebody that's not Valerie Cagle if she has to throw against Oregon the night before. Into it. For sure. Into it TurboTax, the official sponsor of every postseason in the world. (laughs) Yeah, correct. It's going to be a great opening weekend. I'm with you. I think we should break it all down. Okay. All right. When we come back, who can we talk to that can do that? Oh, man, who could make some headlines? Who could get stories written on 24-7 Sports about our podcast? It's only Jen Schroeder. Jen Schroeder. She's ready to to throw it out to the masses and see what comes back. I wish she'd have some opinions about things. Oh, man, she's always kept them to herself. When we return, we'll get the sign and run. We'll steal second with Jen Schroeder, our friend from ESPN. That's next on the Out of the Box Podcast. back to the season six premiere of the out of the box podcast tom had to step out but i'm here gray robertson and it is my honor and my privilege to throw it back last year we had one of our biggest episodes ever because we just you know we put it all out there with our guest when we stole second 
on the season five premiere. We're going to do it again. Stealing second on a season six premiere. Our friend from ESPN, our friend from the Bruin bubble. You see her everywhere in like a thousand different capacities, helping softball in some way. Jen Schroeder, welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. How are you? Hello. Happy softball season. Are you excited to have me here? I am. To ruffle some feathers? Let's see what we got. You know, okay, I don't, I never come on to a podcast or a radio show or a TV show and think, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just going to Stephen AM with some like hot takes. Like I, I don't do that. I just speak from my heart and I speak of, you know, what I feel in that moment. But I will say one thing. I feel like the OU faithful online have been awfully quiet. I really, really do. I feel like, it doesn't seem like season is days away. D1 season is days away because typically the OU fans are making a lot more noise on Twitter. Do we have to call it X now on X? Maybe oh. that's why. Maybe they don't like X. Maybe they like Twitter more. I don't know. Maybe they're not fans of Elon, but I do. I feel like they're just a little bit quieter. Do you sense that too, Gray? I think a little bit. I think. I think it's kind of just a weird vibe overall with this season, just mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people are like, well, it's probably going to be Oklahoma again. And Oklahoma you think, fans, I you think, think they're I think winning they, again. Don't put that on me. It's a season six premiere. I don't know. But I think that the world at large thinks that. Whereas OU fans are, you know, it was kind of a weird off season for them. It was kind of the first off season where they probably quote unquote won the portal. I think the Maxwell edition, we can, you know, use this time to talk about the Sooners. Mm-hmm. The Maxwell edition probably put them just past breaking even, but losing Jordy, like it wasn't the home run off season that we've seen the last few years. Yeah. You know, and I think when the Jordy news came out, there was already a lot of rumblings about that potentially happening. And I think that people were on one side of the fence or another, like, no, this is not happening. Absolutely not. And then other people who maybe had some inside info, maybe, you know, knew that it was happening and knew why. And and I do, I really do have to tip my cap to OU fans and how they handled that, because I think they were very supportive of Jordy and the decision that she made to go back home. And I think because there was so much hype around that and that really trickled down to a lot of people making decisions in the portal to maybe go back home or play for a school that maybe they grew up watching or in an area or a community they grew up watching. I think there was so much hype and awareness it, during portal season that I feel like people don't know how to be leading up to season right now because they're kind of waiting to see how this all plays out, myself included. I think part of that as well, to your point, maybe a lot of fans are still learning who's on their team mm-hmm. right now, just because there's so much roster turnover in today's college softball and really college athletics world. No, I think that that's such a good point, Gray. I think that people are needing to learn who's on their team. There's been so much movement, even late movement with people who are on rosters, who aren't on rosters. I mean, I'm finding out like left and right. I feel like there's a new person on on X where I'm like, wait, she's not on the roster anymore. Um, so I think that they're just kind of figuring out, okay, wait, who's in our starting lineup? Who are our people? Where do we measure up? And I think Oklahoma obviously knows that they're going to be at the top of the big 12. I'll tell you one thing though, Gray, you know what I have circled asterisk in my calendar. And I, I am going, I will be there is senior weekend for OU. 
this year. You want to know what it is? I'll give, give you one me. guess. I'll give you one guess. I'm going to guess that it's Oklahoma State. It is. Yeah. In Norman at Love Field. And I am... Obviously, I'm going to go for senior weekend for Kinsey to support her. But man, when when she texts me that that was senior weekend, I got some butterflies in my belly. You know, Jen, you asked me if I thought OU was going to win it all. I'm not going to ask you the same question. But last year, the thing that we threw out there when we were discussing the Sooners that got us, quote unquote, in trouble was discussing if they could meet the hype. And while I'm not sure if Oklahoma's team was better it was arguably the greatest season we've ever seen in the history of the sport last year, just losing one game pretty much for the most part, rolling through the NCAA tournament. They've now won three straight national championships. Is there even a way to get higher than what they did last year? Yeah, absolutely. You can go undefeated and great. <laughs> Although our, you know, our, we, we got in trouble on social media, everything that we said on that podcast became true, right? Like when you're trying to replace the home runs of Jocelyn Allo, like you're just not going to do it. What was the quote? They're not going to hit 80 bajillion home runs, right? That's what <laughs> everyone kept repeating. They're not the big bad Sooners. I, I kept reading it. I, it was being replayed on radio stations in June. We recorded that in the beginning of February and I was still hearing it in June, but can they be better? Yes. I feel like that's why they're Oklahoma, though. They're Oklahoma because that's their mindset. They feel like they can always be better. There's always something to learn. And and that's uh, that's a Patty Gasso mindset. I mean, she has her athletes ready to play and compete every single day. It doesn't matter who's in the lineup. She'll rotate it. We've seen her do it so many times. She doesn't have the same one through nine or one through 10. She doesn't have them always hit in the same order. Her and JT will mix things up and they'll use analytics and they'll do creative things that get the job done. And and I'm sure part of that is from a data standpoint. And part of it is from a psychological standpoint of getting elite athletes to perform at their highest levels and figuring out what motivates them as individuals. And that's what Patty Gasso and I'm sure JT Gasso do so well. And obviously they're the favorites coming into the year. They're the favorites to win the big 12. Last year, we talked about Oklahoma state as the challenger this year. It feels like Texas. Yeah. Not only is the main challenger in the big 12, but maybe nationally, it feels like Mm -hmm. they've got the pieces, a young lineup, a deep experienced pitching staff with a really impressive freshman in Cavan coming in, but can they do it? Can they get over the hump? There have been good Texas teams who haven't been able to close the gap. Like we thought they would. I mean, here's, here's, here's a hot take. There've been good Oregon teams that weren't able to close the gap, right? So you got to look at who's at the helm. And I love Mike white. I, I, I do. I think that he is an incredible pitching coach and he does a really good job, but history History teaches you a lot if you look at it. So what is going to what is it going to take for a Mike White led team to get over that hump, to win on the biggest of stages? We saw him do it a couple of years ago. Obviously, they faced Oklahoma in the national championship. And and for a second, you you really thought, are they gonna do this? Like, are is are they gonna get it done? And and even getting to that to that national championship is is a huge thing for a program. But the first and biggest test that Texas will have is facing UCLA opening weekend on national television. Can you believe that? We have a national, nationally televised game weekend one, multiple. Shout out to Megaronowitz. Shout out I to know, everybody at ESPN. Like we did it. 
opening weekend that's huge. Uh, and I have them lower on the rundown, but I also kind of want to use this as a chance to talk about your Bruins because this is the first time in a while I feel like no one is talking about UCLA. And some of the Nobody. things people are saying are mixed reviews. So this is kind of a, a different era of UCLA softball right now. Uh, I don't think that this era of UCLA softball, I don't, I don't think we've maybe seen it since, well, you know when? 2010, when they actually won. If you look back at that 2010 team, they were not a team that was supposed to win. They were not a team that even midway through the season, I remember my sister was on that team, so I was a fan then, but I remember thinking, are they not going to the World Series? Like, it was at that point, um, and, and they ended up winning. I'm, I'm not here to say UCLA is winning the World Series. That's not the take that I'm going with, but I think that when you have someone like Maya Brady as a fifth-year senior on your team, I think that there is, is she a fifth year or sixth year? I can't even keep track with COVID. She's, she's been there a long time and she's it's old. her last year. Yes. But when you have a leader like that with experience, experience of playing on the biggest of stages and you have time on your side, right? Because it doesn't matter what you do in February. It doesn't matter what you do in March. It really doesn't matter what you do in April either. Uh, UCLA is going to have to figure out how to win and it's not going to be by dominating opponents in the circle. That's just not how they're going to win. They're going to have to outscore opponents. They're going to have to play really clean defense, which we've seen has troubled the Bruins in the past. They're going to have to play clean defense and they're going to have to figure out how to scratch games out. But I'm so excited to see what Maya Brady does this year because she's got to be in the talks for player of the year, right? She has to be, Skylar Wallace has to be, I'm excited to see who maybe a sleeper player of the year is going to be. Jada Coleman obviously has to be in the conversation. And I'm just throwing out names who don't pitch, right? <laughs> I'm not even throwing out any of the pitchers, uh, but I'm really excited to see what, what Maya Brady does. You know, you talk about UCLA not dominating in the circle like years past, perhaps. And I think circling back to your earlier point, that might be another reason why it feels like the conversation is a little bit quieter about softball. Think about how many stars in the circle the sport has lost from last year or the ones that are still playing are at different schools. Right. So that is really, I think, shifted a lot of the view for the quote unquote casual softball fan. No, you're absolutely right, Greg, because obviously the easy one we could go to is Jordy Ball, right? She's no longer with Oklahoma. She's at Nebraska. So everyone is going to have their eyes on Nebraska for multiple reasons. One, Jordy's there. So they want to see what she's going to do. They sold all of their season tickets. They're obviously going to be very well attended games. But because of what's going to happen in collegiate sports with the Big Ten expanding, bringing on teams of the Pac-12. So you're already going to kind of have that, that mindset of what does Big Ten softball look like in the future? Or at least I know as, as a Pac-12, Pac-10 girl that I'm going to have kind of that scope on, that lens on. Uh, but also you look at someone like Kelly Maxwell, who goes from being the star at Oklahoma State, and now she is on arguably, unarguably the best team in college softball. But when you look at what Patty does in the circle, she doesn't rely on one arm. I mean, even Jordy is the ace. You saw so many of their pitchers have a ton of innings, have a ton of wins, be all Americans, be up for, you know, top 25 player of the year, top 10 player of the year. And so it'll be really interesting how Kelly Maxwell deals with that. And I honestly think it'll be a, a really big positive for her. I think it'll be exciting. 
you, you mentioned Nebraska. I want to talk about the Big Ten. We we typically have kind of zoomed through that mm-hmm. conference last year. We said Northwestern will win it. And guess what? Northwestern won the Big Ten. Same deal this year is Nebraska just so far and away the favorite that they might win it by four or five games. Or could we be talking about a Minnesota or an Indiana or maybe perhaps a resurgent Michigan popping back in? You know, Gray, I really don't know. And I think that's a conference that I'm excited to watch. I'm really excited to watch Indiana. I am. I think Shauna Stanton does such a good job with that program. I'm excited to see what Michigan does just because the history and tradition of that program. And obviously, you know, they beat me my freshman year at the World Series. So I'm always going to not like them and at the same time root for them because they beat me. They beat UCLA. Um, But it seems like Nebraska is the front runner. It does because they have Jordy Ball, right? Who's been there, who's done that. But you just don't know. And so I think the first probably month of season, I'm going to be keeping extra eyes on that conference and just trying to watch and track more of their games to see, all right, uh, like what is the Big Ten all about? Because I think for so long, We've been able to kind of categorize, you know, conferences where it's like, oh, the Pac-12, they're they're super athletic. They're going to have some dominant pitching. They're going to have a hitter. The the SEC, I feel like you have like really big hitters in that conference that score a lot of runs. You know, in in the Big Ten, I feel like you're going to have a pretty good slapper, a decent arm. You're going to steal bases. So it's interesting. I want to know what the Big Ten, what the Big Ten is going to look like going forward. And I think we'll start to see their personality this year. I feel like that's exactly the storyline for that league this year, because I don't know how you feel before Jordy went to Nebraska. My thought was once UCLA, Oregon and Washington get to the big 10, they will be the top three in the big 10 every year. Now, Nebraska can spoil the party, obviously with Jordy, but I think this year is a good test for everybody else to see, okay, who can get to a level to where maybe we can look at them as a potential challenger to the newcomers next season. Well, and not only that, but if you're looking at this from a recruiting standpoint, okay, you could go to a UCLA or a Washington or an Oregon. Maybe you're a West Coast kid, so you want to stay on the West Coast, which their facilities, I mean, Oregon's facilities are pretty nice. UW's are okay. UCLA, it's not a lot to write home about. Besides the tradition, like our facilities are not great at all, right? And so could you go to a Michigan that has huge football? You're competing for a national championship there. You just won the national championship. You've got facilities. Even if you're a West Coast kid, now you're coming home to play at UCLA or at Washington or Oregon. So your parents can watch you more. Probably going to be a big network. There's going to be a TV deal of some sort of large magnitude, right? And so It'll be interesting because I think just like the SEC got recruits 10 years ago, we're going to now see that happen in the Big Ten, if I had to guess. Jen Schroeder joining us for the season six premiere of the Out of the Box podcast. So, Jenna, I, you know, I mentioned all these changes in the circle. You had the Fouts and the Faremos and the Sander Cox graduate. Maxwell and Ball are at new schools. The one outlier is someone named Nigeri Kennedy at Stanford. Ooh who just burst onto the scene last year, somebody that like I've talked to multiple coaches who quote, hadn't heard of her before the season started. And then all of a sudden she was maybe the biggest story coming out of the women's college world series last year. Now it's time for that sophomore season. And they've added Taryn Kern Stanford has, is this a team that can truly challenge for a national championship? I mean, I think no doubt, right? Jessica Allister, what she's done to that program. Let's even go back before Nija. Remember, Gray, who did they beat a couple of years ago? Okay. Oh, it may have been Alabama, but 
I'm just saying when you look at the trajectory of the program, right? right. Like they're on an upward swing and Nyjah is Rob. I mean, she's the best pitcher in college softball right now. God, am I saying that like over Jordy ball? But when you talk to hitters, when you talk to elite hitters, they will tell you the toughest pitcher I faced last year was Nyjah Kennedy. Like without a doubt, I keep continuing to hear it at my events. And so you've got to look at Stanford at Stanford in a completely different light after their performance at the world series last year, what Jess Allister has just done for that program. And, and obviously, you know, Taryn Kern, uh, did she lead the country in home runs last year? You got to refresh my memory. I didn't look at any old notes, but she had 20 plus home runs. Yeah, she was up there as a freshman at Indiana, led the country as a freshman. And she, she was battling it out at the end. I don't, you know, obviously she didn't play as many games as everyone else. So she probably wasn't the nation leader at the end of the season, but I mean, offense is what Stanford needed and, and they got it in the off season. Yeah, Stanford is interesting, and you talk about Kennedy. I think that if you asked anybody, Kennedy might be the only pitcher in the country that could beat Oklahoma twice by twice, herself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's probably the biggest compliment <laughs> that you could pay to any pitcher in the country right now, just the fact that she could. OU fans, I'm not saying that she would or will. I'm saying that she could. Just wanted no. to make sure that that was clarified. It doesn't matter if you clarify, Gray. They're still coming at you, I'll tell you that. I but know. We love them, what? though. Welcome we to the SEC. We do. We do love them. We do love them. And I, you know, I, I, I final after how many years have I been covering this sport and kind of been, you know, friendly bantering with OU fans online. I just realized that, you know, one of the people that OU fans worship is Brian Bosworth, right? The boss from Oklahoma. You know that his nephews I went to school with, they're still like my dearest friends. They each married my friends. I threw a baby shower for a Bosworth. Like how do not use that connection to get in with OU fans in the past. I've been really missing a good opportunity, Gray. You could have gone to the Fansville commercial uh, sets as well. I mean, what the heck? Yeah. Okay, but going back to Kennedy really quick and going back to her potentially beating OU twice, what OU has for them is that X factor of what JT does and how he mixes up the lineup and prepares his hitters. And so I would be willing to bet quite a lot of money that in the off season, JT has been watching so much video on Kennedy and that they are ready to face her. And so, although yes, her ability to perform, to come up with absolutely sick pitches to get out of big time moments. Yes, that's there, but data and analytics and the way that JT is able to dive into video and prepare his hitters I'd be hard pressed to say that she would beat Oklahoma twice. Jen Schroeder here, stealing second on the out of the box podcast. Okay. So we've got two conferences left that we have not discussed. We're going to save one and talk about the ACC okay. because Florida state has been running that league for so long, but it feels like Clemson and Duke are catching up. Is this the year that Clemson finally breaks through? It's a, it's the last ride for Valerie Cagle. They've added a couple pieces. They've got a, a steady, steady treasure trove of returners and Florida state is still trying to figure out what the circle is going to look like without Sandercock. Is this finally the year that Clemson fully passes the Knowles? I know they won the league a few years ago, but they didn't have to play Florida state that season. I don't worry about Florida state at all. I don't worry about Lonnie Alameda teams. I think that she will figure it out in the circle. It doesn't matter if they have to pitch by committee, but I'm going to say this is the year Clemson does it. 
I'm going to say this is the year that Clemson gets to the World Series and does it. Because you're right. It's not like they've fallen short. It's just they feel like they've been missing something, despite how amazing Valerie Cagle is. It just feels like they've been missing a, a link of some sort, right? Don't you feel that way? I see you nodding, but I, I want to hear well, from you. And they've gotten bad luck, too. I mean, you win yeah. the ACC, but the, the metrics are bad, so you have to go to Tuscaloosa. That's brutal. Yeah. And then you're probably better than your metrics say you are, but last year you're a 16 seed and you have to go to Norman. Like those are probably yeah. two of the four toughest places to play in the sport. You're right. So whether it's been missing, you know, a, a piece of the puzzle or some bad luck, it just feels like the odds have not been ever in their favor to make it to the world series. Right. right? And so I do feel like this is the year that maybe it's more of my desire and want for them to really crack through. I'm like, okay, come on guys, come on, you can do it. But I feel like this is the year they do it. I think so too. I feel like it is the perfect ending to the Valerie Cagle story, mm -hmm. you know, being the big name, being kind of the first one in this program, it feels like it has to end in Oklahoma yeah, city. I know. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, we want it so bad. Come on, Valerie. Come on, Val. <laughs> Let's um, go Clemson. Watch Alabama Clemson be matched up in supers. I'm like, you know what? Oh, the story ends God. now. The then I hope, done. I hope if that happens, that Clemson fans find this audio and clip it and just play it over and over for you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jen, let's talk about the SEC, the league where it just means more. And oh, I'm sorry. As Get Tom and I have talked about on this pod, though, it feels like the most in flux the conference has maybe ever been. Like we all, I think, agree that right now Tennessee and Georgia look to be at right. the top. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, you could make a case for maybe seven or eight teams being third, fourth, fifth, something like that in the standings. I mean, it's as jumbled as maybe it's ever been. I don't even want to have a prediction in this conference because I feel like it could be so jumbled, but also it's like a few weekends could determine who's in third, fourth, and fifth place. And that doesn't actually mean that they're the third, fourth, or fifth best team in that conference. It just means that on those specific weekends, they played like that, you know? I mean, that's how it goes with con the conference that's so deep, like the SEC. It's like, we've seen so many times somebody not win the conference and then end up the World Series and be the better team in that year. It happens all the time. I'll tell you one thing, though. Yes, I think, you know, Georgia, what they've been able to do the last few years, they're, an, they're just an exciting team to watch. They're very fun to watch. But the player whom I mentioned earlier in this podcast, who I'm just so excited to see how she performs this year, is Skylar Wallace. I just think following her on Instagram is so fun because when you watch the way that she works, she's in the gym, she's doing plyometrics, she's hitting, she looks like a specimen. Like she just seems so athletic. And obviously she's been given some gifts. Both of her parents were college athletes, right? Like we, we know that. But I just think that she is the type of human who puts in the work every single week. And so I love to see someone like that get the payoff. And I don't know, there could be others in the league, which I'm sure there are, who are just as hard of workers. But I love following Skylar Wallace's journey. And I'm real interested to see if at the end of the year, she's a top three player of the year candidate. I think it's potentially almost a lock that she's going to be one of his top 10 finalists. We'll see if she's one of the top three and wins it. But I think the biggest thing Tom and I have talked about it. I think everybody's talked about it. The biggest thing for Florida is the pitching, right? And you've got a staff of all freshmen earlier. Uh, I mentioned that it's not 2005 anymore. You know, you can't expect these two people to throw 160 innings 
and not have multiple people that you can reliably go to with softball so good across the board. But at the same time, Tim Walton has shown over his many, many years that when you doubt Florida, that's oftentimes when they're at their strongest. So I, it's a very tough team to figure out this year. I would love to be a fly on their wall in a uh, fall because I have no idea the tricks that Tim Walton has up his sleeve, but I'm sure he has some, but when I started talking about the sec, I wasn't talking about Florida. I was talking about Skylar Wallace because I am just as concerned about how they're going to perform in the circle as you are. I mean, I just, I'm sure they'll, they'll figure it out, but I have no idea what their plan is going to be. Man, you know, before this call, Gray, I was texting. I'm like, I just don't feel as excited for this season. I don't know why. This is getting me really fired up for weekend one, weekend two, weekend three. I'm excited to see the personality of these teams. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and I feel like that's kind of been the overarching theme of, of this conversation. Another reason why it feels a little bit more muted, the the anticipation coming into the year, is nobody really knows quite yet what to be excited about because there are so many teams that are so similar. And I think Mm -hmm. the sec is such a, such a great example of that. I could draw very, very easy similarities between teams like Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, put those in a little square and be able to connect certain storylines about this year. But at the same time, all of those storylines revolve around, well, we have to see them play games. No, and, and you could you could have that pod and then you could think the same thing about the UCLA's, Washington's and Oregon's of the world and kind of put them all together, right? Because I think we're just waiting to see how they perform. And I think what softball fans haven't done a good job of is they judge softball teams so easily, so like so harshly, way too early. Like, oh my God, they, they lost in February. I, I can't even believe it. It's like, wait a second. They had their third best arm in the circle. She's a freshman. Like, uh, okay. Like who cares? But I think that people are such tough critics too early. And I think we can't do that this year with the type of teams that we've got. We just can't. So I think that's our theme gray for the year is I need to see it. Like, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Like I need to see these teams. Yeah, and guess what? We get to watch some of them on ESPN opening weekend. And this we'll hear weekend, baby. It's so exciting. UCLA's on twice. Texas, Crazy. Oklahoma State. Are you going? No, because Rudy is in a wedding. She's making flower girl appearance number five in three years. Wow. So yeah, we have got some. I know I can't I can't believe it. And then I have to, I'm doing a speaking event up at UCLA on Super Bowl Sunday. So I'll Yeah, that was an interesting planning um, decision by UCLA, but it is National Women, National Girls and Women in Sports Day this week, which is a huge celebration. And so I'm doing a a speaking event up at UCLA on Sunday. So I'll be watching from my phone. I don't get to go. I'll be at weddings and all all sorts of things. (laughs) Uh, Jen Schroeder joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast season six premiere. Jen, it is always good to see you. Happy softball. And, uh, you know, let's just, let's see it. Let's just see see it. it. Show us. Let's see it. Yeah. Show us softball. Sus. (laughs) Show us softball. Sus. That's, that's the theme. (laughs) Oh, what a sus way to end this podcast. Thanks for coming on, Jen. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. So that was Jen Schroeder. Tom is back. Yes. Just had to step out for a minute. Great job. That's okay. Thank you. That was a fun interview.
Jen's great. Yes. We did great. I agree with everything she said. I concur. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you to Jen for allowing us to steal second. And now, Tom, it is time. Which she did not allow very often. Not very often. Right. Yes. Let's round third. Okay. With our dear friend, Emily Pitek. Our amigo, the smart retiree. She made the right choice. Maybe so. Maybe. Sometimes you got to know when to walk away. That's true. As Oprah once said, you need to know when it's time to leave the party. Yes. So she left her show and started a multi-million dollar television network. Ah. Emily Pitek Clifford is joining us next for Pitek's Point of View on the Season 6 Prepare the Out of the Box podcast. Season six premiere of the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to round third. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, we're rounding third. It's a premiere episode. That can only mean one thing. Oh, man. We have to have somebody on Yeah, every year. And that person is the joy consultant, the administer of vibes, as long as they're good. Emily P. Tech Clifford is joining us for P. Tech's point of view. Emily, hello. Welcome back. <laughs> What's up, guys? You know, Administer what minister of what you said? Minister of vibes parentheses as long as they're good close parentheses. Okay, I'm immediately putting that at the top of my resume. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What's up? Softball season is here. I'm wearing my Alabama softball sweatshirt and I legitimately cannot wait to start. Well, we have to begin with kind of like the the kickoff to softball season, if you will. Yes. A trivia night. Uh Uh-huh. Um so you retired from the cakewalk. We can discuss that in a bit. But you also might have made the right choice by not doing it this year because uh, KJ Haney and Rashinda Reed, it was quite a knockdown dragout battle. Listen, guys, if you don't know who Rashinda Reed, she is, she is Alabama's new volleyball coach. And she is like six foot three inches of pure muscle and com- competitive spirit. And... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was my shoulder. I didn't do it this year because I actually hurt my shoulder and I did not want to hurt it anymore. Like I think I might've tore my rotator cuff. So I did not want to get hurt. And it seems like I picked the right year to not do it because it was the battle Royale up there and Rashinda and KJ Haney, who we also need to put in a box like the Pope and protector this year. They got after it, and I was way in the back. All I saw was two people fall on the floor, so I'm not really sure what happened there, but I'm very glad I wasn't a part of it. That's all I know is I, I've never ran as fast as I did to try to protect the giant screen uh, <laughs> because, as they tell us every year, if something happens to that screen, someone from Japan literally has to fly over to fix it so that it is of a, utmost importance for us to protect it. And uh, Which, I, you know, one would think that would mean it would also work. Sure. But, yeah. Well, that's a different thing. And then, so <laughs> when I saw feet and chairs flying, I was like, I have to protect this at all costs. Hey, uh, if 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 this is a precursor though to the way our softball players are going to battle and fight, I love it, and I hope all of us are ready for it because KJ, I mean, she did her best, but sometimes her Shinda Reed said, "Nope." which is fine we should just just come to practice too and just like get all these girls in gear so i'm in i'm down it works for me (laughs) and that's kind of a natural transition into just you know team team 28 
what a what a time it is. We're finally to 2024. Even though last year was a quote unquote longer off season for us, I feel like this year we've been waiting for years. It feels like like I feel like it has taken forever to finally get to opening weekend, but it is nearing. Emily, how excited are you for softball season and the fact that you get to watch the tide once again? I'm really excited. It's it's a different feeling this year, and it this feeling is something that none of us at Alabama have, have had to deal with for five years because there's a lot more unknown because we don't have our girl in, in, in the circle, but it kind of feels like we are all freshmen the first week at college, and it's like, who knows what's going to happen? I'm not sure where my classes are, but we're going to hope for the best, right? But the thing is that I'm hearing from everybody inside the program, from I've listened to every interview I could I could find, anything like that. Like you talk about vibes being high. I think there is a cohesion with this group. Um, and you saw it at you saw their personalities at trivia, which is one of the reasons I love going. Um, because sometimes you can tell, like, does does a does a, a senior interact with a freshman? with no problem absolutely they were they were dancing with each other across the conference center and just like while we were guessing our guesses but like it was so cool and I've seen videos from practice and it is high intensity competitive um people are we talk about Mudita all the time but you're actually hearing it and seeing it during practice um and those are like inherent things but they're also learned skills to like really empower your teammate to be their best every single moment and I think Murph has just dove into this hey what do we have to lose kind of mentality and I think he's last couple years has heard the critics whether he wants to address it or not but like he did he did address it in y'all's uh SEC um media days podcast like there were some things that he could have done better. And I think he has addressed them and I think he's owning it. And by, by the leader owning some weaknesses and saying, let's make these strengths. I think everybody gets better Um, because there's not that elephant in the room anymore. It's like, yeah, let's get better at this. And now it's your job. It's all of our jobs to do this, meaning hitting, Um, you know, more power numbers. And from what I've heard, Adam is crushing it in that regard. There's one singular voice, which is for an 18 to 21 year old girl, really, really, easy to listen to um rather than having four or five and then you you bring in like your parents and your club coach too and it's just like it's too much so um pairing all that down man I I literally can't wait if they can hit the ball hard as crap to the outfield wall and doubles all days I will take that um because it was pop-up city last year and it just got a little boring to watch it even though that team fought their tail off and ended up where everybody wants to be. And that was Oklahoma city. The one of the big changes also, in addition to not having Montana Fouts, Allie retires, but you bring in somebody like bro, how much can that can bring in somebody uh, like bro to come in and, and give you just a different perspective, but somebody that has been there and it hasn't been that long ago that she was right there. Well, first of all, Allie is amazing. And she, she was synonymous with Alabama softball and she led the program as Murph's right-hand woman to 
unprecedented levels for for softball in the south and she is awesome she called me when she was retiring and guys i boohooed like i will own it (laughs) i sobbed but i was so thrilled that she gets to be home with family and you know pour into the people that that let us have her for so long um so i think the only person you could have truly filled those shoes with was some is someone like a kayla bro um because one, she is a product of Alley Habits um, in the outfield, not product of, but she learned from. Um, and she just knows what Bama U is about. And, and more than anything, man, she's a competitor. And I think a little bit of that has been missing. Um, just like day in and day out, talk about the goals you want to go get make them known and don't be apologetic when you're on your way to get them. Um, I remember in 2011, after the world series, we got absolutely smoked by Florida and texting Cassie Riley Bosha afterwards. And, and Kayla bro is one of her very good friends. And Cassie was like, what is wrong? I was like, nobody's scared of you. You, you walked in, you go play Florida. You're scared of Florida. And now it's kind of everybody's scared of Oklahoma. Right. Go in and just go at it. And I think the next year, everybody was like, why not us? Why not? Like, we, we have every tangible trait the other, the other teams have. But what's our intangible? And it was the fact that they never got beat twice in a season in that 2012 year um, in a row. And it's just like, can this team fight and, and galvanize together and just dog it out, man? But someone like Caleb Bro is going to be that different voice that is just going to ignite some people. Um, Also, she's really, really cool. And she's younger and she's incredibly relatable. Like I want to be Caleb bro when I grow up, right? Like she's so cool, man. And I want my kids to play for her. And um, she's just an awesome representation of what Alabama softball in its entirety is. And the fact that these girls get to be recruited by her, get to know her for four years, five years, get to, uh, you know, integrate with her daughter, Dylan and, and David. It's just like, she is such an asset to the program. And I don't think it's just going to be in wins and losses. I think that's an excellent point. And as we've discussed throughout this pod, and we will later on in the show, we're going to do our preseason poll. And I think Tom and I have agreed that there is in the SEC a mushiness to the standings. A lot of teams who can fit a lot of places in those rankings. And I think nationally outside of Oklahoma, the same argument can be made. So this is probably the year where maybe intangibles are more important than they've ever been just because everybody needs something to be a difference maker. Yeah. You guys obviously know better than I do, but is the best returning pitcher coming back, Maddie Penta? Yeah. In the league, for in sure. In the league, yeah. In the league, right? Yeah. So, so you have a league that typically is an incredible pitcher's league. Um, and we don't have that shining star aside from Matt Dependent that we know. Now, we have Elena Vauder coming into South Carolina. And you have Kayla Beaver coming into us, obviously. And I, who's allowed to be newcomer of the year? Does it have to be a freshman? Because those two are going to battle it out. It'd be nice if they had a newcomer of the year award. Right. They still don't. But they, they, only did, they only did after yeah. the COVID year, but okay. Yeah. But we need but it's to. Like, it's the new era of sports. Like there will be newcomers at every class. It is. And you're right. Like I think 
the huge question mark is pitching. Who's going to, who's going to level up and step up. Um, I think about our own staff now having six pitchers, which is the largest it's ever been. But, and, and from what I've heard, hopefully they're going to use it like a, a straight up bullpen situational um, rotation. Hopefully not as much as my good friend, Rachel Lawson does over there at Kentucky, but you know, mm. can we have a starter? Can we have a, uh, a middle middle innings person and someone who is just dog crazy who is that closer kind of like a Chrissy Owens used to be um at some point or Jordan Taylor from Michigan like like we need that and we have the ability to do that but I mean we have Jayla Torrance and she's the most experienced person coming back if we get postseason 2023 Jayla Torrance for all season I'm loving it uh, who, who do they throw beaver also if we're not calling it beaver fever our uh marketing department has had a sure miss on that so if anybody's listening let's start doing that because i'm all about it i you know 99.9 is my temperature i'm rising right now let's go um but with her and then jocelyn brisky like what can she do and can she shine under these lights? Cause she said in the fall, she's never pitched against around that many people watching her. So it is going to be hard. Um, but that, I think that's the pickup of Beaver is huge. And the experience of Torrance is going to be great. And hopefully Salter can, can bring it and even Esmond as well. So I'm God bless Lance and his workload, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Um, and then who knows about, I think Tennessee is going to be good. Um, I think Georgia is going to be good. Um, aside from them, I think the whole of the SEC is like, who's coming with us? Um, but I don't know. I think we can be there, but the girls got to believe. And I don't care what fans believe, but the girls got to believe it. Yeah. So when, uh, you know, it's an opportunity this year, I think, for because there are so many unknowns and, you know, everyone's gonna be talking about Tennessee and Georgia that Alabama can kind of be a team that's kind of unusual for the tide is that they're going to be a little bit under the radar. No one's really going to be talking about Alabama until maybe mid-March. Um, I think I'm happy with that. I think that's a, that's a great spot to be in. I think the tide can, can use that to their advantage. Historically, we do much, much better. We is the team, by the way. Um, when we're when the expectations of the media and everybody else is low about the program, because it's then, it's then a Murph has a wonderful way of saying, Hey, it's us against everybody kind of mentality. And just think about it last year, guys, you dropped the first game of the season, the opening day up and down all year long, your all American pitcher goes down. And that team finds a way to make it to Oklahoma City. So, and that was another instance where everybody was like, threw in the towel. Oh, they're done. Yeah, watch the games. We're not done. We're going to finish in Oklahoma. Um, so, even though we're one of the, I mean, we're always in the top 10, top 15 every single year. But doubt us. Doubt the team and see what they can do. Because I always say it, you never anger an elephant. They're just big and massive and they'll come and stomp you. <laughs> Emily, as as somebody, Emily P-Tech Clifford joining us here for P-Tech's point of view on the season six premiere, as somebody who has been involved with college sports for a very, very long time in a variety of capacities, coaching, playing, fans, like everything you can imagine, 
what concern do you have about the current state of athletics? Because we talked with all the coaches in media days about realignment and what that means. I think everything that happened with football last month and how it became essentially a bidding war for a lot of players, I think has kind of made people even more uneasy with how things are structured, if you want to call it a structure, right now across college sports. From a fan perspective, from somebody who's in it, but not necessarily in it, in it, how does it feel to you? Uh, it feels super uneasy because I do have a lot of college coaching friends, but um, just echoing the sentiment that all of the coaches in your Media Days podcast answered, it's like, thank goodness we're in the SEC because in a super uneasy, tumultuous time, we're Alabama is in a conference that has pretty sure footing. Um, I do believe in the next five to 10 years that college football is going to be like minor league football, NFL football. And like, it has to be its own entity because right now it's the wild, wild west of everything. Um, and you're even seeing it in, in the, in the portal for NIL stuff um, from a couple programs in the country who just go and get players, reach into this Hermione's bag, whatever they need, and they just get players. Um, and some schools right now, the most important thing is making sure that football has a huge war chest or basketball has a huge war chest. But what I'm, a, what I'm concerned with is that currently there is a, like a renaissance for the popularity of women's sports. And you saw in the fall, the record, breaking numbers at volleyball smashed and then basketball right now with Caitlin Clark and the LSUs of the world and, and Stanford are just crushing it. Attendance is up everywhere. Um, and then softball to me, I mean, gymnastics is also incredible, but softball to me is the one that's a little bit hindered the most and, and might miss out on all of this because the size of facilities are so small in comparison to basketball arenas um, where volleyball, gymnastics, and women's basketball can play. The most that on any campus can have is, is us and probably now Oklahoma at around 4,000 um, a game. And it's just like, what do we have to do to keep up with volleyball and ba women's basketball? Because the the interest is there, um, the support is there, but for so long we've been the one who's been the rising star. And, and I feel like softball right now is slowed in their trajectory of popularity a little bit in terms of dollars received back. Um, but I hope having played college athletics, like it's totally different than when I played guys. Yeah. <laughs> I like to, I would like <laughs> to think that I would make a lot of money in NIL stuff, but um, hey, Baumhauer's, if you're listening, I will still accept any right. sponsorship deal. But um, same to us. Right. We will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Never yeah. played. Never played any sport. Would love any nil. That <laughs> I would have. love to be able to sport the official clothier of the out of the box <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but it's in that same regard. It's like it's such a cool moment to be a female athlete because you are actually getting recognized for your skills and you're getting paid for your skills. Um, so. If you're asking me what I think it should be, I think college football should go off on its own and be its own thing. Um, 
I think of the way Notre Dame operates, right? They're just independent in football and then all of their Olympic sports fall under something, fall in the conference with the ACC. So I don't know, someone smart, way smarter than me has to figure it out. I think Nick Saban has some time on his hands, so he should probably drop some models about how to do this right. But because he cares about all sports, but I don't know. But I hope to, I hope to heck women's sports doesn't suffer in this because the momentum right now for everything going forward in, in the realm of women's athletics is so good that I'll be really pissed off if someone messes that up. Emily, I've got one last thing. I, I, you mentioned Nick Saban earlier. Um, we, we have not actually, outside of a group text, really talked about Nick Saban's retirement from Alabama. Just generally, how do you feel about it? And we don't even have to get into the, the Deborah of it all, but just to have a, a titan of a university <laughs> leave what feels like kind of in the middle of the night and, and just in the, in the timing of it and in the unexpected nature of it on that Tuesday, it it was as surreal a day as I can remember in a long time. Yeah. I, I was scrolling Twitter and saw it spring out of bed, even text Chris, our friend, Chris Childers, who is in college athletics. And I said, are you seeing this? He goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, why am I breaking the news to you? But, um, yeah, it smacked me. I smacked all of us right in the face. Um, obviously, I wasn't an Alabama fan when Bear died, but it had to have been similar emotions for people um, at the end of an era. But if you're asking me, that man earned the right to walk away with no questions asked. Um, I, this is great, but Nick Saban, I think in his tenure at Alabama, had 16 10-win seasons and Auburn in their whole history has had 14 10 win seasons. So it's pretty great what he's done. Um, but the coolest thing I think about Nick Saban, I was there, I gra- I was there when he, when he came on, um, I wasn't there for the good years, but <laughs> the, the size of campus has doubled. The enrollment undergrad enrollment has doubled. The incredible facilities are just overwhelming the um the strength of the applicants now at at Alabama is very strong because all these people wanted to come to watch football and all that kind of stuff so you have people who would go to Ivy League schools who wanted a college experience who are flooding the honors program at Alabama like Alabama is a really good school to go to now but what I loved about Saban is from his first press conference through his whole time there, he said, and he challenged every person from his players to his coaches to the person who picks up trash is to be a champion. And I think his mantra of that, you know, soaked into everybody in the athletic department. And there was no greater time than that than 2012 when you had four teams winning at a national championship. And you guys say it all the time, a rising tide raises all boats. That's what he did because he, it's like keeping up with the Joneses. Well, this man keeps winning national championships left and right and the hardest sport to do it. And it's easy for him. So, you know, it leveled up the the standard for the coaches and then the type of athletes who wanted to come to Alabama. Um, but he, he was awesome. I think Murph said he was six for six on getting, getting recruits, to come to campus who uh who went in front of Saban so maybe we can still have that lifeline um but you know I'm sure DeBoer having softball playing daughters is gonna just absolutely hit it off with 
coach Murphy. So I hope that happens. <laughs> yeah. You're, when uh, I graduated undergrad at Alabama before Nick Saban got here. And then I went back to do uh, my master's after Saban had been here about five or six years. And I live in Tuscaloosa and I've lived in Tuscaloosa that entire time. I had to do like the Bama board, Bama on board, take the tour of the campus because I didn't know where anything was because everything yeah. had, had exploded. Just it, it was unbelievable how much growth there was in the university as a whole uh, under Nick Saban and, and the success that he had at football and how it affected everything. Yeah, there's whole new streets on campus now that never used to exist. <laughs> but uh, literally, where we are recording way. this podcast would not exist. <laughs> right, Saban and not come to Alabama. It's so true, man. But it's it's so I'm so proud that I was an athlete at Alabama because he has made it the place that premier athletes want to go to play. Um, I mean, look at soccer. You know, like yeah. I feel proud that because probably of Saban and obviously West Hart really good athletes want to come to school here um and i think that's across all sports so it's, it's really fun to watch fans of the university of alabama and the crimson tide love winners and i'm gonna i'm gonna segue real quick for something but in 2022 we had 15 games that we sold out at alabama softball 15 okay it, anybody listening i i think we have a chance to sell out 16 games this year and that would be the two Arizona games, all Florida games, the two Virginia Tech games, Ole Miss series, Texas A&M series, and Tennessee series. That is 16 games. Mm -hmm. And we, everybody says they love – there's only 600 tickets for sale every game, and that goes on sale tomorrow, well, 9 a.m. On, on February 5th. But let's sell it out because – we love winners. You see what's happening with men's basketball. That place is packed. The energy is high. And the worst part about Alabama softball and season ticket holders is that people who sit have season tickets behind home plate. They typically don't come. So I am challenging those people to come or give your tickets to somebody who wants to see because, man, there's a line. And those people want to come in, and we need to support our girls from the start. Not mm -hmm. like in April and mm -hmm. not in not in – postseason time from that first Arizona game like sell it out <laughs> yeah. yeah you want to be in a position Tennessee series to win the SEC yeah you, hey, you gotta, you gotta be, be there for Ole Miss you gotta be there for A&M you gotta be there for Florida I know Mondays you know whatever best way to brighten up a Monday is softball road stadium yep <laughs> amen hey hey and Saturday of Tennessee series, I'm apparently throwing out the first pitch. <laughs> yeah. So what's the training for this? Like, are you prepared? Have you called Montana? Well, no, but I have thrown to my daughter, Lizzie, in the backyard. And having Kat Osterman in my pocket is a very good thing. But I might need to call Montana. The lights have gotten a lot brighter at Rhodes since the last time I threw out one. And I was like 15 years younger with no rotator cuff issues. So I might have to throw it left-handed, guys. Wow. Do you realize what you just said? You just said, well, I might have to call Montana Fouts. But if she's not available, I can always call Cat <laughs> Osterman. Noted my best friend. Noted bestie. Cat but listen, there's no room for me to suck. Like, I can't. <laughs> But, okay, I do need y'all's opinion. Should I wear a shirt that says, Ralph is my homeboy? <laughs> yes. I really want to. Please do. Is that Karen, under the overalls? 
I don't think I'm going to wear the overalls. Karen's going to hate me, but that's nothing new. <laughs> I love you, Karen, but yeah. I love you more. <laughs> hey, you know what? In case by some miracle when this is released, if there are still tickets available to that Saturday Tennessee game, there shouldn't be any more. Right. Because now you have even more of a reason to show up to see Emily's first pitch. Yo, wow. if anybody wants to boo me, that's fine. I just, and if I hit anybody, I hope I go a hard left and just straight in the dugout. <laughs> the ball, I, the ball dugout. I've always thought that, that that is a lot, that is nerve wracking that they do the, 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 the ceremonial first pitch with both teams lined up really close mm-hmm, to where yeah. like, you got to get them right in that window. If you I have like, a, a tough, a tough throw, you could take somebody out. I'm much more accurate with my feet. I need I need to just kick it in there. But that would be fine. Drop plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't Dana Duckworth do like a handstand? She did. Once she or... slipped. She wow. slipped or something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The most pressure, honestly, is probably having my three children watch me do it. It's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it'll be good. I'm excited. You guys are the best, and I love I love this sport. I love Murph. I love his staff, and I think we all just need to channel these good vibes because. Don't be a keyboard keyboard troll. Don't be an idiot. Support them. And that's the only way they're going to keep going is if you believe as much as they do. If it wouldn't break all the equipment, I would stand up and applaud. But I am <laughs> nervous about wires. Do not do not fuel their off-the-wall segment, people. Just don't I mean, do it. Like, if you can't say it to your grandmommy, don't type it on the computer. I wish we didn't have the segment. I wish it's like, well, we can't, we don't have anything. I wish to talk it could about. be its true intent, but it is no longer, it, it can't. We've like, it's not possible anymore. Yeah. Even after great weekends, we're like, but this guy did this. <laughs> we run ruled everybody, but in there. Right, yeah. We run ruled everybody, but this guy was upset about something. Oh my gosh. So frustrating. Uh, anyway, Emily P. Tech Clifford, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the season six premiere for P. Tech's point of view. It is always a pleasure to see you, my friend. And uh, yeah, let's get fired up. I mean, we're look, the season starts this week, and then the week after, we all get to party at Rhodes. Whoop! <laughs> and there's a big there's a big tournament in Birmingham, so y'all just get cozy with each other. It's gonna be a great season. <laughs> Lots of chances around the entire state to see the Crimson Tide this year. That's right. Amen. Thanks for joining us, Emily. All right. Thanks for having me. Roll Tide. That's Emily. Thank you, Em, for joining us. Always great to get P-Tech's point of view. Yeah, of course. You know, we got to hear about it all. Softball, national. I always like to pick her brain about something philosophical, college athletics-wise, whenever we can. And I feel like we always get some good good content out of that yeah it is interesting to say as we as we were talking about with her you know what the next five years of collegiate athletics as a whole will look like i we're seeing a lot of these scenes like she was talking about that are just going all in on we'll just you know pay players millions of dollars and all this kind of stuff and i think the hope that a lot of these teams are doing we're going to pay now and then hope that in two or three years there's some regulation. So when the next crop comes through, it says, where's my million dollars? Oh, we can't do it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, they're not letting us do that anymore. But please still come to our school. Eventually. <laughs> eventually, there's got to be something. There will be regulation. Eventually, there will also be, like, that, you know, money runs out yeah. at some point. There's only so much. Like, I mean, but I'm glad we talked to Emily about it. Yeah. It's the right person to discuss all that news with, and I'm glad she joined us. When we come back, we'll head home. Landminer gold mines, picks, what absurdity 
will come out of our mouths next. No, who's to say? Well, you'll all find out when we return here on the Other Box Podcast. podcast we're so glad that you have stuck with us gray tom look every year i reference a lengthy movie when talking about the premiere so this is uh out of the box hyphen killers of the flower softball <laughs> how long did that one end up being that was i think three hours and 29 minutes give or Ooh. take i i think it's actually longer than oppenheimer but oppenheimer gets all the long jokes because that was like a big deal right but what's I haven't I have yet to see either one of them. Have, was Oppenheimer like it was like two and a half hours before anything really happens? I've heard similar jokes to that. Semi spoiler alert. Uh, it's like really kind of right in the mid. So it's a three and a half hour movie. It's like two hours, hour and a half. Like it's there are three parts to the movie, and the scene yeah that I'm sure we'll talk about whenever we do top ten movies of the year uh, is at the tail end of the second portion of the movie. Gotcha. Okay. So. Yes. Maybe that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. But yes, uh, we've had a lot happen on this podcast, though. There has been. We've we've covered Alabama. We've covered the SEC. We've talked to Jen. We've talked to Emily. And now it's time to head home and make some predictions and see what happens. (laughs) We're not going to hold on tight to them. That's for sure. We begin with Landmine or Goldmine. These are the bold predictions for the season. Uh, last year, I got one of three. I got one right. This might be the first time ever. That's impressive. I correctly said Ashley Prangy would lead Alabama in home runs. That proved true. She did. Uh, I was wrong about the SC Freshman of the Year race. It was one by Carlin Pickens, not someone from Alabama or Arkansas. I was wrong about the Pac-12 not getting as many teams as the ACC and SEC in OKC, they actually had the most of any conference. <laughs> right, yes. So that was incorrect. Tom, you went 0 for 3. Yeah. On three very feasible predictions. I felt really good about all three of these. You were close. Mm. Montana Fouts, SEC Pitcher of the Year, probably came in second or third. Team that wins the SEC regular season championship will not be the highest seed in the tournament. You miss that by one spot. Yeah. 15 of 16 teams make supers that are seeded. I think it finished 14. Man. So, like, you were very close. Almost. Could not have been more wrong, but was very close. <laughs> so I'll take it, I guess. Yeah, I'll give you like 0. 0.3 out of three. <laughs> well done. Thank you. So what could we possibly predict for 2024? Because we usually do an Alabama-centric one, an SEC-centric one, and then a national-centric Yes, one. for the most part. For the most part. For my Alabama one, I'm going to say Alabama will see significant increases in offensive outputs in home runs, Batting average and stolen bases. Did you see my sheet? No. Here's what I have. Oh, no. Alabama will finish top five in the SEC and run scored and stolen bases. I feel very confident about that. I think home runs is a good addition. I think it's yeah. extremely possible. You can keep expanding on yours. Okay. But I think we're going to see Alabama be a lot more versatile offensively in what they're able to do. Um, and it's going to result in some pretty good statistical um Im- improvements we'll we'll take a look at this for as far as the just the overall number alabama last year had 67 stolen bases i can see them being over 100 i'll say they will get 100 stolen bases okay for on base i mean for batting average 271 
Uh, I think they're over 300 this year. I'm okay. going to say 300 for uh, team batting average. And then the home runs they had last year, they had 56. So I say they get 70. Okay. I think that's very feasible. I felt confident about mine and runs scored where Alabama was eighth in the conference. Uh, I think they will be fifth top five next year, almost for sure. Partially helped by the fact that it's just not as daunting a schedule. We talk about how important scheduling is for the overall stats and how, because not everyone is playing even non-conference schedules, sometimes you just score more right. against teams True. when you're not playing top 10 teams. Yeah, Alabama does not have currently a top 10 team on the schedule before March. Yeah. So I think that that is a chance to, to bump up those numbers a bit, not necessarily overinflate them. I don't think it's going to be a, a fake high number, but I think it will be reflective of how the offense will look the rest of the year. Agreed. So that's my number one. My number two, little bit, of a spoiler alert for the standings. I kind of hate to do this, but I will. Tennessee wins the series over Georgia, but finishes second behind the dogs in the SEC standings. Wow. You don't have to comment on it because I know we're going to do our poll in just a little bit, but that's how the math mathed. I'm going to say that I don't think it will be Tennessee and Georgia in the top two. I think one of those two will not finish in the top two. Ooh. So there will be somebody else crashing the party that the Bulldogs and Lady Balls are trying to throw. Interesting. Yeah. Who will it be? Stay tuned. Mm. If only we were going to discuss. Oh, man. Number three for you, Tom. At the risk of angering a certain fan base or rehashing a former landmine or gold mine, Oklahoma will not win the national championship this year. I'll take the field. It's real. I mean, it's hard to get three four like doesn't happen right in any I mean, come sport on. come on it's real hard to do i don't think that's super outlandish i at this point do not have the heart to pick it and, and say the field right now if i was doing a preseason top 25 oklahoma would be number one that's all i can do right now but my apologies to the sooners who will come after me i'm sure it's certainly more interesting if you're correct <laughs> right as we've said for years we just want it to be fun and interesting. That's all I want. I just want something exciting to talk about. My last one. Florida State won't make the Women's College World Series. I have math on that. And at least seven of the eight Women's College World Series team will be either new SEC or new Big Ten. Oh, yeah. A combo of the new SEC and new Big Ten will claim seven of the eight World Series spots. So that's Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Oregon, mm -hmm. Washington, mm, UCLA, potentially, UCLA. and then the rest of the Big Ten. I, I think Jordy, I don't have Nebraska in. Wouldn't be shocked if Nebraska's there. And then the rest of the SEC. I think you've got a lot of teams that it's hard to name who it'll be, but I wouldn't be shocked if we saw, you know, a couple other SEC teams besides Georgia and Tennessee and OKC. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know who it'll be. That's part of the problem. But, and part of the fun. Yeah. And Florida State, here's the number. Wow. Every season since 2014 that we've had an NCAA tournament, so cut out 2020. Right. They have been to the World Series every other year. 2014, World Series. 15, lost in Supers. 16, World Series semis. 17, lost in Supers. 18, Natty. 
19, lost in Supers. 21, Champ Series. 22, lost in Regionals. 23, Champ Series. Mathematically, Florida State will not make the Women's College World Series this year. Wow. I don't know if they're going to lose in Regionals again. I don't think they're going to make it to the big dance. Hmm. The biggest dance in the big dance. Right. Can I add something to mine? Sure, go for it. I would say not only will Oklahoma not win the World Series, Florida State ends the back and forth and they do make the World Series. Wow. Are we are we feuding yes. about the Knowles? <laughs> Jay Beecham with that walk-off to send the team to OKC. Are you telling me Jay Beecham's not going to be in OKC? <laughs> I don't think so. ACL preseason player of the year. Oh, man. Nary a collegiate at bat. None. But I am terrified of her. <laughs> I don't want to play them at all. But we will. But we will. In March. There. Uh, okay, our landmines and gold mines. There you go. As usual, I feel good about the list, and I am confident that we might get collectively one, one correct. Well, I know that one of us will get one right because you say Florida State won't make the World Series. I said it would. That's true. So there we Look go. Look at you hedging, yes. Tom. When you go over three enough times, Tom has found a way to guarantee a victory for the out of the box boys. <laughs> Just trying to get us a win somewhere. Just brilliant, partner. <laughs> I'm so proud. (laughs) Thank you. Shall we get to the true drama? Mm. The thing that people freak out about every year, you know, until the season starts and then we have to resolve those issues. Until actual games are played. It's our preseason SEC rankings. Now in proper list making fashion, we will start at the bottom and work our way up. We have provided hints. I've explicitly said who I picked to win the SEC, but there's a lot up until we get to that point. Correct. So, Tom, I will flip the commemorative coin from the Women's College World Series to decide who goes first. You are the NCAA logo. No! Your favorite organization. Oh, great. And I am the Women's College World Series. NCAA, Tom, you are first. Wonderful. So start with 13. Number 13. Who is it? Who? We, I think we may have tipped our hand on this one a little bit. But with all the upheaval, losing your best player, um, I'm going to put the old Miss Rebels at number 13. I did not have them there a month ago. I do now. I've got Ole Miss at 13. Like, the schedule is also quite hard. You know, you open with maybe the series that will decide this with Mississippi State at home. And then at LSU, Georgia, South Carolina, at Alabama, at Texas A&M, Auburn at home, at Arkansas. So you miss Missouri, who's the other team that could potentially be around you. That's not good. So I've got Ole Miss at 13. Uh, 12, we've got Mississippi State. The Bulldogs, as I said, a winner from the Courtney Day disappearance because I bumped them up to 12. I, I think Mississippi State's going to be trappy. They're going to be tricky. Uh, this is a big year for Samantha Ricketts trying to bounce back from missing the tournament. I don't think they will this year. I think they will be in the field of 64. I think that Taryn Moat McKinney will provide a nice impact on the pitching staff. Typically, we see the pitching coaches year one make more of an immediate adjustment than hitting coaches. Typically, for with hitting coaches, it's year two. We have statistical evidence of that. So I think Mississippi State will be able to win that series against Ole Miss and do enough to make the tournament, but somebody has to be in 12th and I've got them. There you go. This is also a little bit of the, well, someone's got to be 12th line of thinking. I'm actually not going to put Mississippi State there. 
We put Kentucky at 12. Wow. Yeah. Um, again, there's still question marks on whether or not Schoonover is 100% healthy. You know, what do you have outside of Koffel and, and Schoonover? So many question marks. I feel bad, but I'm going to put Kentucky at 12. How dare you? I've got Kentucky at 11. Um, <laughs> yeah, I same deal. You know, Koffel's going to be great. She's going to walk 80 times right. this year. If you lead off Nesby, then you increase the chances of Aaron Koffel being walked. However, she's your best leadoff boss. She's your best. Person. Right, because yeah. you need Aaron Koffel to drive in the runs because she's not right. going to hit a solo home run every time. Right. So it's it, – it, until Kentucky has someone truly proven to protect Aaron Koffel in the lineup, and right. I won't know that until they play games, I cannot be confident in that team. Right. I've got Kentucky at 11. I have Mississippi State at 11. Okay. So it's we have we have the bottom three. Just a, a couple, just one change there. So I have the Bulldogs at 11. At number 10, again, I, I hate my list. Mm-hmm. I, I already tell you this, 100%. Hate this list. Texas A&M. Wow. Okay. A little bit of a return to the pack. They had, I think, Trisha Ford had a little bit of an overachieving first year at College Station. They have, obviously, a talent pool that is better than 10th in this league. Again, someone's got to be 10th. Um, I just think a few of those games that went their way last year are not going to go their way this year, so I'll put A&M at 10. Okay. I've got Missouri in the 10 spot. Uh, M-I-Z-Z-O-U, that would technically be better than their preseason coaching poll prediction. So I would be siding with I don't think they're going to underachieve again. That's true. true. Uh, Honold and Laird are such a good one-two punch that – I, I just I think they're going to win games. Krings is the kind of pitcher that can get hot. We have seen it. I just I don't know if they have the pieces to compete with what is going to be a pretty pretty jam packed top nine in this conference. So the way I've kind of broken it down, I think like everybody from nine to one that I'm about to say in a little bit could conceivably host a regional and could conceivably be within striking distance of winning the league. You know, in the second to last weekend of conference play. I'm not sure Missouri is capable of being that team, but I still think they're going to be quite good. Okay. All right. Number nine. Who you got? <sighs> oh no. The Florida Gators. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure that these pitchers are great. These recruiting people can't all be dumb and they right. all have them like top five. Sure. In the country. But it's not 2005 anymore. It's not 2007. It's not even 2012. It's not 2015. Like you need a well-rounded pitching staff in this day and age. We talked about it with Arkansas and with Alabama. You've got to have people who can just chew up some innings. And Tim Walton tried to add that with Olivia Miller. who was kind of a late flip pickup recruiting wise. And with Wooten coming from Virginia. But the majority of the innings this year are going to be given to two freshmen and I just I don't know how they're going to respond to that and because most of what I've talked about with Florida ends with I don't know I've got them at nine the only reason I don't have them that low is because they're Florida yeah you know I trust them not to be to be Florida this is the lowest spot they've been in in either of our polls in six years yeah like by a lot yes uh I'm gonna put Missouri at nine okay uh a lot same reasons you have there I just have them one spot higher at number eight, similar to what you said, I think you have anybody from one through eight, one through nine in this league can can host regionals. Maybe even an outside 
discussion on winning the entire league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tennessee and Georgia are your two preseason favorites to win the league. But if things fall a certain way, we're talking about eight, nine possible teams that can win it. For sure. So just because I pick you at eight doesn't mean I think your team sucks. You suck. No. Right. No, not. that's not what I'm saying. So Auburn, you're eight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is really hard to say, considering you might have the best pitcher in the league. Yeah. But again, what depth do you have in that pitching staff? Lost a lot, not only to graduation, but to the portal offensively. Um, just a lot of question marks for Auburn. Number eight's where they land for me. I think that's crazy. Uh, I've got Auburn at eight. What? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's not what I was expecting. No, it's not. I Look, I am totally in agreement. Maddie Penta, I think if we power rank the pitchers in this conference, she's number one right now going into the year. Mm-hmm. The offense is a concern. They lost a lot of people. The depth behind Penta is a concern. Got to see Shelby Lowe. But also, like, I've explained my process for this. You know, I do two different polls. I map out the schedule and predict every series. And then I do vibes and feel based on our conversations with the coaches and just the research that I do behind the scenes. And then I average them. And every year there's a team that's lower than I anticipate. And this year it was Auburn. I I don't necessarily love their schedule. And I kind of don't love the vibes around Auburn. It's kind of a weird off season with some key players leaving, still waiting on the behind Pentas to, to rise up. I just, it's hard to believe. Mm -hmm. So I am putting Auburn at eight. Okay. At seven, I've got Texas Mm -hmm. A&M partially because I think that they will be top half. And I said that on media days and you know what, I'm going to just, (laughs) agree with myself sure Uh, i think that trisha ford just wins a lot and i was talking to brady vernon about this he covered her a lot when she was at arizona state year two for her has been huge so if if she's going to lead a m to where i think she wants to and where i think she can this is the year we're going to see the true significant jump is it a jump enough to be top five in the league potentially i'm not willing to pick it but is it enough to be top half in the league? I think absolutely. Now we're getting, again, I, I hate my list. Nitty gritty, Tom. Yes. I'm going to put LSU at seven. <gasps> okay. Yeah. I'm taking the Ray Robertson. Show me something different. Just take the take the uh, <laughs> trap door out and have LSU fall through it. Talent-wise, they're much better than seventh in the SEC. A thousand percent. I need to see it. Yep. LSU number seven yeah i don't like it but that's where they are i will have more to say <laughs> shortly right <laughs> at six i'm gonna put florida okay like you said the all the recruiting people can't be wrong these are gonna be two really good pitchers yes they're gonna have some games where they will absolutely dominate people and shut people down they're gonna have probably a few where they struggle you know florida will find a way and a lot of those games like one of the reasons i Say A and M picked there where I think a lot of the games that went their way last year went, will not go their way this year. Florida's going to find a way to win those three two games, those mm. four three type games. They're not going to bottom out. Uh, I mean, I think finishing sixth in this league, the way it's stacked this year, they're going to be in the conversation to be like somewhere between thirteen and sixteen nationally. I was going to ask you, you know, this puts them in the fringe, right? For you, will you go on the record? Will Florida host a regional this year? Yes. Okay. I say you, you can add you can add that to my landmine goldmine for the SEC. Florida will host a regional. Okay. I say no. 
but I had the ninth. Yeah. So that's not a there you huge go. surprise. Right. It actually makes mathematical sense. Yes. Uh, my number six is LSU. I thought I was going to be the lowest on LSU. No. Uh, but alas. I can't wait to see the average of our poll here. I bet they're sixth or seventh. <laughs> LSU, give me something. Show me something. Like, I did this last year. I went on this whole spiel. They did, you know, beat my expectation by one spot. Mm-hmm. You are too good to be losing in regionals, even though it's Louisiana, even though it's a rivalry. LSU should have been in Supers. They're too good two years ago. Uh, they're too good to be going 0-2 away in a regional. Right. This senior class is too talented. But I am not going to be fooled again. Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me. <laughs> You can't get fooled again. Yeah, you get fooled again. Fooled, yeah. So That's I'm the putting we have. That's the saying we have in Texas. Sometimes in Tennessee. Right. Might be Texas. Might be Tennessee. Uh, I'm putting him sixth. And this is an important year for Beth Arena. Mm-hmm. Just being super honest. Anything lower than what we have here, sixth and seventh, would be perhaps hyperbole to say this, but would be pretty disastrous. And frankly, sixth or seventh is pretty disastrous. Yeah, it, it's, it's borderline unacceptable if they finish seventh, eighth, or ninth. Right in this league with the talent that they have. So LSU, the ball is in your court. Yes. Number five. Number five. This is me. Mm-hmm. I said they'd be top five lock. I'm a believer. Shrek style. South Carolina. Duh. Now, I have found a few more losses in the schedule after talking to the coaches. You know, when I first looked at the schedule and charted it in like November, I had them tied for first. Right. Yeah. Things shifted a little bit, but I think that five is a very, very safe bet. Ninth is not going to happen. If it does, then something has gone horribly wrong, i.e. an injury of some kind. Yeah. Because with the roster as is and with Vauder leading the way, they're just they're not going to finish bottom half of this conference with this with this schedule. It's just not going to happen. South Carolina at fifth seems extremely viable. I think they're going to host a regional. I think this will be a historic year for Bev Smith. Really a historic year for South Carolina athletics as a whole. Women's basketball is probably going to win the title. Men's basketball having the best season they've had in decades. They've been one of my most unbelievable stat for men's basketball is that South Carolina has only been to one tournament in the last 15 years. And that was the final four. That's right. Cindarius Thornwell. <laughs> of course. What a guy. Just unbelievable. But, but that yeah. team was like a seven seed. Right. This team is going to be a five seed. Yeah. Probably. And then softball is probably feeling as good about themselves as they felt I in mean, a long time. They're they can they are, as I said, a, maybe a dark horse, but they are a legitimate candidate to win the SEC and be a top eight seed. Yes. I've got them fifth. That could be low. Yeah. But I think it's a fair spot for the Gamecocks. Who do you have, Tom? I hate putting them this low, but I'm going to put Arkansas at number five. Okay. Courtney Dyfel has proven, especially in the regular season, Arkansas is going to be in the mix. Mm-hmm. They are going to be there. I love their offense. Um, I have questions about their pitching, which is one of the reasons I have them at five. They're a legit team that is uh, could win this league, uh, but someone's got to go five, so I'm going to put them there. I hate it, but that's where Arkansas is. Low-key, tricky road trips for the Razorbacks this year in conference at Auburn, at Georgia, at South Carolina, at LSU. Might not even be low-key. It's just like, it's hard. Those are difficult. Hard for road weekends. And Alabama goes to Arkansas. Alabama 
usually plays well in Fayetteville. That's right. They they have they have a a good record there, even after Arkansas has become a good team. The best thing going for Arkansas is you've got Ole Miss, Missouri, and Mississippi State all at home. Like if you want to win this league, you almost have to sweep those three. Right. I think that's a fascinating, fascinating spot. It is for the Razorbacks. Who do you have at four, Tom? At four, the Georgia Bulldogs. Mm, okay. Have I mentioned I hate my list? Yes. But multiple times. Yes, but... Samesies. <laughs> Don't you hate my list too? No, I hate my uh, list. Well, yes. They're a national championship contender. And they're fourth uh, in this conference. And they're conference. fourth in this conference. Uh, and this is going to be like by one or two games, like a half game, yeah. a rain out somewhere. Something is going to be their schedule. There's a lot of landmines in that schedule for Georgia. You know, they've, they've been in that spot a few times. If this is the best lineup that or the best roster that Georgia's ever had, I'm picking them way too low. Mm. I'm not picking it in a vacuum. I got to put some other people ahead of them. Right. So it's, they're not the fourth best team in this league, but I'm putting them fourth. I wish I could explain it better than that. No, that's fine. (laughs) These aren't, you know, these are, these are how the standings will go. We've talked about this. I mean, the standings standings are are not necessarily reflective of the overall talent of the team. Right. Uh, I.e. Alabama last year being fifth in the SEC, but the second highest seeded team in the NCAA tournament. Exactly. Why? Because of what they did in the non-con. Right. I disagree. Right. But I don't think it's outlandish because I talked about it. I had a three-way tie initially. Yeah. So I think I think just because you have them fourth doesn't mean they're three spots behind number one. It could just be one game. Exactly. Yes. One weird rinky-dink game in Lexington, Kentucky. Who knows? Where crazy things happen. My number four is Alabama. I have charted this, and I think that the thing that hinders Alabama the most is just how daggum hard this conference schedule is. You've got... A couple of these at home. Tennessee at home is huge. Florida at home is helpful. But road trip to Arkansas and Georgia, what made the 19 team special was that they were able to go on the road and sweep LSU and sweep Florida. Yeah. Mathematically, that is almost impossible to do. Very difficult. You lose one of those games in either spot, and it's a much tighter conference race. I just think that the way that the math breaks with the SEC being the way it is this year, when I averaged it out, I had Alabama coming in fourth. What does that mean for the NCAA tournament? Clearly nothing. nothing. Right. I mean, they could still host as a super top eight selection. They can go to the world series very easily from there. I think, I think my placement of Alabama at fourth is more just reflective of my overall respect for the entire league and how hard Alabama's conference schedule is. I don't know if we mentioned it. Schedule is just ridiculous. It's really, yeah. It's fun for us. Yeah. From a traveling and we're going to see a lot of exciting games this year. I can't wait to go to Athens. Oh my gosh. And like we've soft- had that hotel booked for six months. And softball is like fifth on the list of why I'm excited to go to Athens. Amen, brother. <laughs> the positive for Alabama with the schedule is that all these teams that we're picking in and around them on, on the schedule, the tide gets to play them. Right. And I think even if you finish fourth, you know, you're going to play everybody above you. Like, you're going to have the chance for those quality wins. Right. And we saw how impactful that was last year. There you so, go. yeah, I kind of hate them at fourth. It's just the way the cookie crumbled. All right. Three, I've got Arkansas. Uh, partially because Arkansas hosts Alabama yeah. this year. Even though Alabama has had a lot of success in Fayetteville over the years. And even recently, they're there in the regular season. And they're, by the way, she's got a lot of really good players. Right. I, I yeah. think that Nia Carter is going to be, if we had a newcomer of the year award, 
Nia Carter would win it and will win it um, if that decides to exist. Uh, I think that the pitching staff is similar to Alabama. I feel like these teams are going to be tied together all year. Yeah. And just the way the scheduling math worked, Arkansas has helped because they've got some sweepable home series. Mississippi State, Missouri, Ole Miss all coming to Fayetteville. Um, those can be swept. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that Arkansas, when I crafted it, had more sweeps in Alabama, but only finished a game ahead. And I, I just think that the scheduling math favors the Hogs. So I had them three. At three, I'm going to put Alabama at three. Okay. A lot of the reason we just talked about um, Alabama can win this conference. 100% they can win it. But they have probably the toughest road of the teams capable of winning the conference of doing it because of the schedule. Again, you know, you start off with Florida and Georgia if you get yourself in a little bit of a hole and then you play really well, you know, which is kind of what your your goal is to be playing your best softball at the end of the year anyway. Right. If you do that, the hole, you might only be able to get yourself back up to third. So I, th- there's several different ways. But again, just because you're picking them, I'm picking them third does not mean I don't believe in Alabama. I don't think that they have a chance to win this league or to go to the world series or do all their goals that they have in front of them. Um, again, just the standings, the way it goes, I'm going to put Alabama three. You're number two. I think I know who it is. Yeah. You said you believed in them, Yeah, but no one has ever believed in them as much as I have historically on this podcast. You can go back and, <laughs> and look at it. The South Carolina Gamecocks. I mean, I think they, they made the biggest splash. Obviously Jordy ball exists. Uh, but Alana Vodder coming to South Carolina was just an um, absolute massive pickup. It changes your entire trajectory because even when South Carolina was struggling, they were not bad offensively. Right. It's just they had to find something in the pitching in, in the circle. They kind of got that going a little bit last year. Little did we know that we Gilborn know that. would be. We didn't know just. Yeah, Dynamo was uh, going to be that great. I mean, a, a true Dynamo in the right. league. But it was a one-year deal. Right. And a lot of otters a one-year deal. But it's quite it's quite a good replacement. Uh, and we've seen what she can do. She has done it on the highest, on the biggest stages. Um, and then everything they added offensively as well, bolstering that. Yeah. Plus their schedule. I'm putting South Carolina at two. And they don't play Alabama. That's the one team that Alabama doesn't play out of this whole group that where they can take care of their business. So do I think necessarily South Carolina is better than Alabama? No, but their schedule is a little bit easier, so they might be able to get a game or two over Alabama, and Alabama can't do anything about it. I, just, I can't wait to see Vodder against Arkansas twice. I can't wait to see Vodder against Tennessee twice. I can't wait to see Vodder have to go to Gainesville and pitch there. Right. By then, Florida could have turned it around, could have figured out who they are. The freshman could have settled in. Who's to say? Yeah. Um, was, wow. But I don't think that this is unrealistic, which is crazy. Thank, thank you. Shout out to South Carolina. Yes. Uh, who, you know, has been everywhere in our standings over the years, like you talked about. You know, some years we've had them top five. You were the, like, lone voice to pick them last a couple years ago. You were right. And then, you know, slowly but surely, we bought in a little bit more with Bev. And then, like you said, adding Botter is just an unreal right. coup of talent. Yeah. My number two is Tennessee. The pitching – Gives me pause. A little bit of pause. I think this can be just a, a, a scary offense. An offense that you hate to play. An offense that is impossible to prep for. You got kids who last year, like Katie Taylor, season average, not good. 
but she and Jamison Brockenbro had some of the biggest hits against Alabama in the World Series. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got a balanced lineup with Kiki Malloy and Zeta Pooney kind of leading the charge. I have questions about who's going to be the go-to. Is Pickens ready for that? Is Peyton Gottschall ready to be that as the number one? She pitched great down the stretch last year, but they still had Ashley Rogers ready if need be. Yeah. The Ashley Rogers security blanket is gone. I think Tennessee will almost certainly be a top eight seed. Anything outside of that is because something horrible has happened. I think Tennessee will probably be in the Women's College World Series, but I don't have them winning the SEC this year. I have them coming in second. I have Georgia winning the SEC this year. Yeah. I think, I mean, it all comes down to that April 5th through 7th series. Basically, the, the difference for me is that I think Tennessee will win that series and then Georgia will have a loss or two somewhere else. Yeah, and I I just I think that Georgia is brimming with a confidence that is earned. You know, we we joked about it for years. That year they made it in 2021 to the Women's College World Series. What is Georgia doing here? <laughs> All these freshmen. There was nothing that Georgia did during the regular season that year that thought that is a World Series team. Not at all. But that moment immediately started building the foundation to this, to this year. All those kids have grown up. They've added the proper pieces in Sarah Gordon. Lily Backus, I think, is going to be someone that is not going to be their ace, but she's going to burst onto the scene and have some big innings. Uh, Kerpix and Walters have been impactful. Kerpix is, if we did like an entire career, most improved player, she's probably in the running for that. And uh, Walters is a reliable arm. Tony Baldwin is a good coach. This is a really impressive staff and the schedule is manageable outside of the road trip to Tennessee, which I, I have said, I think they lose that series. The road trips this year are at Ole Miss at Kentucky at Mississippi state road sweeps are hard to come by. Georgia can sweep those for sure. And I don't necessarily think that's the case for some of Tennessee's other road trips or any of their road trips like Alabama, South Carolina, Auburn. Those are all extremely difficult you throw in Mississippi State, maybe that's the weekend the dogs get one. I just – I think that this is the year for Georgia, and I think that they will win the SEC regular season if everyone stays healthy. Yeah. We rarely talk about injuries because you don't want to bring it up unless you have to, but oftentimes in these dream seasons, in these scenarios that we discuss, the most important thing is staying healthy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that that is that is the huge wild card in this whole thing. Uh, and again, as I, as I'm looking through my preseason rankings here, I don't like it. And it's because I don't think it's necessarily who I think is the best by their, by their rankings. For sure. It's how I think the standings lend up, which doesn't always reflect who is the best team uh, because of it's the schedules and who everybody plays. I would not be shocked if any of the top five to six win the league. If the schedule, you know, schedules fall a certain way, which will make it just an unreal year. So much fun in a variety of ways. And perhaps we'll make it even more important than ever before for you, the listener, for you, the fan to calm the heck down. <laughs> Play the drop. It's time for off the wall. Stop complaining when we win, you know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so 
asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, Tom. Off the wall is back. Preseason style. Yes. Is there anything we want to make sure that we pontificate about briefly before you know we sign off and and really next week kind of get into the actual right you know legitimate comments that we can absolutely disgrace with statistical facts <laughs> are there any softball related ones that you wanted to definitely get get mentioned here well i would just say that i hope that this conversation about the sec if you've hung with us great job yeah but if you've heard how many times we've talked about the evenness of this this conference uh, and I think the country, you know, we talked about UCLA, this could be a rough year for them. I don't truly know what the upper tier of college softball looks like outside of Oklahoma this season. Right. I just, because I don't know. And because you talk to anybody, you know, Jen didn't know, you, like you don't know Tara, like all these, all yeah. our friends, no one knows we're all waiting to see. Right. So don't think that you viewer of only Alabama games have a full right breath of how softball should be nationally. If Alabama loses a game to South Alabama, right. that does not mean burn it down. Just a reminder, Alabama does not play in a vacuum. Right. This year, we might see more upsets. We might see more, I, th- I think, complicated polling. You know, we've yeah. talked about the top 25s. There's probably more of a variation or preseason poll than we've ever seen between the big four. I think that could continue as the year goes on. Don't freak out. Right. Because one weekend, one game is not indicative of how the rest of the year might go. Because I think night to night for 99% of teams in this sport this year, we're truly not going to know. Right. And I, we've seen it in college basketball, but I think there's going to be some sort of correlation to what happens in softball. This year in college basketball so far as recording here, first week of February, mm. teams, top 10 teams in true road games against unranked teams are less than 500. That's insane. It is is ridiculous. And there are a lot of reasons why, but one of the reasons why is that there are teams are older because they still have those fifth-year COVID players. And the transfer portal has, like, leveled the playing field a lot. Right. So if a top-10 team has a true road game or maybe some of these – long road trip tournaments that they're going to they may drop a few games to either mid-majors or power quote-unquote power fives that just have a lot of fifth-year seniors or that they've been together for a while they haven't been ravaged by the transfer portal as much as some of these others don't be shocked when that happens we're seeing it in virtually every other sport at the collegiate level we're going to see it in softball too so again not just Alabama fans but fans of all these teams that, you know, they expect to win every time they go out there. They may not. There's going to be some some games where they're going to struggle. A lot of teams are going to be figuring things out yeah. for most of February, I think. Yeah. So I, I think we we may see some, when we're doing the out-of-the-box podcast scoreboard updates, mm. some shocking results. Fine by me. Which, great. I, you know, I love voting every week in the top 25. So I'm, yeah. I'm all about. A lot of moving and shaking. Yes. I do think we do also need to address uh, the DeBoer situation. Oh, please. Alexis DeBoer. Yes. Who is a highly recruited, really good softball player. 
well regarded in right. the recruiting metrics. In case you haven't heard, her father mm. is now the head football coach of the University of Alabama, Kalen DeBoer. Yes. Alexis DeBoer is going to Washington, where Kalen DeBoer was the previous head coach of the Washington Huskies. Signed, sealed, committed. For football. Yes. But yes, that is the point I would like to make, is that one, I think that there is some confusion. She is not going to be playing for Washington this year. Right. She is a senior in high school this year. But she has signed a national letter of intent Mm -hmm. to play at Washington next year. While her father did, you know, change his job. Her coach, Heather Tarr, is still very much the head coach at Washington. Yes, indeed. Uh, so she does not get an, an additional window into the transfer portal. She would have to ask for her release from her letter of intent to be a, allowed to be recruited. Patrick Murphy cannot pick up the phone and call Alexis DeBoer. That would be illegal. Yes. That would be very much an NCAA violation. She is not open to recruitment. She is on, she is in all intents and purposes on the Washington roster. For 2025. For 2025. Yes. Her recruitment is over. She has signed her letter of intent. She's going to that she is going place to by the lake. Unless she asks Washington to let her out of that, she is not open to be recruited. Right. So I know I've been asked, you've been asked, we've all been asked. Thousands of times. Is she coming to Alabama? As of right now, no, and Alabama can't do a darn thing about it. Right. And that is, I think, needing to be said and cleared up. Until she does something herself, there's nothing Alabama can do. Or any school. Or any school. In America. Right. Alabama's not the only one who would be intrigued if she released herself from Washington. And she's not playing this year. No. She can't transfer because she's in high school. Yes. Right. We really don't want to open up the portal for high schools. No, goodness. Then it will just never stop. All right. Beautiful work by you, beautiful work by us, beautiful work by the listeners who have again packed their lunch and mm. decided to listen to this whole thing. Even Martin Scorsese would have made a few edits, but not I. Not I. <laughs> the podcast yeah. plan this year. So I didn't even really properly explain. If you're staying with us, I'm sorry. Uh, so the Softball America podcast that we'll be doing will become the Advancing to First segment. So when you listen to this podcast from now on, you will hear us doing our thing about Alabama. And then the second segment will be the audio from the Softball America pod plugged in. We'll probably move a couple segments from there to rounding third. Uh, so that's how that will go going forward. Uh, the podcast will be released every, for the most part, Tuesday, occasionally Wednesday, depending on the game schedule. Uh, and the Softball America pod will be live Monday, occasional Tuesday. Tom. Yes. If the people want to find you on the socials, where do they look? Enjoy things. T Canterbury RTR on the X, the Twitter. Whatever you want to call it. it. The the handle remains the same. That's where I am. T Canterbury RTR. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. A, not E, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow the podcast at Out of the Box underscore pod. Got some hype videos coming up that we're going to be releasing this week, which will be fun. They they, they, They are the definition of hype yeah i've i've had to edit a couple and then i added one more and so it's great all right tom by the way we're also back this weekend i feel like that should be noted yes after last year's little hiatus at home where i'm on tv and your radio opening weekend we're back on the road traveling with the team how can the people tune in 
when we're in Atlanta. Well, as, as always, we are back on the Crimson Tide Sports Network, and we are back on our Tuscaloosa affiliate at MeTV 97.5 FM. So you can get us over the radio right there, 97.5 FM. Get the MeTV app. We'll be there all season long. Uh, also at nick975.com. Uh, get the streaming there. So there's several places there. And then coming up back in April, we'll be back on the Varsity app. No joke. No yes. April Fools. No. In April, we'll that's be when, back in the Varsity app. That's when that happens. But right now, you can still get every game either over the radio, on the air there, or on the MeTV app. And it is important to note that because I don't think that the non-Georgia Tech games this weekend will be streamed on ACC Network Extra. Correct. So I believe that we are it. Tune in. Right. There's not There's not a lot of times this year where we're not streaming somewhere uh, as far as television goes, but uh, this weekend there's a few games that won't be, so sorry we're it. Thank you to our guest, Jen Schroeder, Emily Pitek Clifford, for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to our friends. Tom, that's it for the Season 6 premiere. All right. In just a few short days, we will be in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll be getting in the Tuscaloosa Ford car and heading over. Indeed. Podcasts are ready. I haven't listened to anything true crime in eight months. Wow. So we're set. (laughs) People have been doing bad things and and or being caught or getting away with it. (laughs) What a broad brush you paint with, sir. (laughs) (laughs) We have found out who who did it. (laughs) <laughs> or who, or maybe not. Maybe not, but if they're in Ohio, they're probably driving a green a car. Green car. <laughs> We're excited to have all of you with us the rest of the year. Season six, unreal. The softball season, we've talked about it. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be fun. Tom, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. Let's play some softball. Indeed. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for joining us, for supporting us, for listening, not just to this episode, but every single one we've ever done. We appreciate you. Let's get to the softball. Thank you so much for joining us on the Out of the Box Podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody.